If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. Did you guys enjoy that uh, with Stan, Stan coming by? What a great guy, huh? Stan's a, he's a, he's a great guy. Stand-up dude. Very cool guy. Very, very smart. He's a smart dude um, yeah. and, you know, one of the better business people in the, in the, in the muscle-building world. Um, just a great, we had a great conversation with a great podcast. I think it went for what, two Dude, hours. Another like smart meathead looking guy. You know, that's, it's, it's great to hang out with guys that are also like big guys that are just like, you know, giving us a better name. I it think is. we found almost all of them. Yeah. I think we found <laughs> all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, was, it was like the last one, you know, all the unicorns have combined here now. No, we, we hit it off with the guy right out the gates and had a great podcast with him. We talked about his past, his training, how he coaches people, his, uh, his his philosophies towards nutrition. He talked a little bit about the vertical diet, which is a, a kind of his nutrition protocol. That yeah, we've had a lot of people asking about this. Tons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was that was part of the motivation because we had been in communication back and forth a while ago, and we had been getting hit up so much on like us wanting people wanting us to address his diet, and I'll uh, just be honest, been too lazy to dive into it to. Mm-hmm. You know, talk about it and stuff, and so fuck it, we'll just bring him on the show. We'll I'm not gonna lie, it. I was dismissive before I ever looked into it. You know, I, I kind of judged it at first, and not because of Stan. I like Stan; he's a smart dude, but because there's so many diets. Well, just and, the name diet, yeah, exactly. yeah, immediately yes. turns me off. But right. in this episode, you'll hear Stan talk about his philosophies towards nutrition, and here you have a, you know, right now he's what? How much does he weigh now? 250 pounds. He's a big dude, 50 year old guy. Used to get used to weigh oh, 270, he, he lifts 280 pounds. Super strong guy. You hear this guy talk about gut health, the microbiome, micronutrients, and you know a lot of the stuff that we talk about on the show. So it's really refreshing to hear someone like him talk about those things in the context of building maximum muscle and strength. Well, it's kind of like what you always say, which is at one point we all kind of end up in the same place. It's true. Yep, it's you know, true. there's some people out there in the space right now and some really intelligent people that um, are denying some of this stuff because maybe we, we don't have quite enough evidence to be 100% certain that this is a cause of this or this reacts this way. But mm. those of us that have been doing this for long enough and you've coached and trained enough people, you've seen enough you know, st- case studies and examples of that just through your own experience with clients. And you know, we all kind of end up in the same place mm-hmm. like, oh shit, what do you know? When I eat these processed garbage foods and stuff like that, sure, I can get in shape and sure, I look okay and, you know, it, I can manage that when I'm in my mm. 20s, but do, do 10, catch up with me. 20, 30 years of that and, you know, and he kind of shares that, his story too, because he doesn't, he doesn't uh, admit being this guy who's was pre- presenting this information his entire career. I mean, it, he kind of found that out through a lot of trial and error doing yeah. things the wrong way and like he, ourselves he coaches some of the you know, doesn't he he helps the nutrition with the what's his name with the yeah. big Thor Bjorgensen yes yeah. uh, some of the top CrossFit athletes um, and has helped improve their performance tremendously he also has so with this vertical diet he's come out now with uh, vertical diet meals and these are we must get probably on a weekly basis a dozen messages from people who are trying who ask us you know for good recommendations for meal prep companies. Yeah. This is where they deliver, you know, meal prep companies will deliver like a, a, a meal already ready to your door, many times frozen, sometimes fresh or whatever. You get the meal and it's got your, you know, it's all, it's all counted out for your macros and, and everything's set up, right? Makes it easy. And I've just never found any that I, I really like. Well, after talking with Stan on the episode um, and hearing his philosophies around nutrition, 
uh, you know, we're going to give his, his his meals a try. We're definitely going to give him a try. And yeah, well, we created we had him create a link for all of you guys. Then those that have been asking and that we're looking for something, we've created a link so you guys can go directly to that and order the meals. And man, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to try. I for sure. I tell you right now. When I was competing, this would have been a a, a thing I would have loved yeah. to have had. I mean, yeah, if he had yeah. this already going, convenience factors, easily digestible that. food. That's what oh, yeah. he focuses on: easily digestible food. Because he realized, if you can digest something and you minimize gut inflammation, you can yes. maximize assimilation, build more muscle, burn more body fat, and optimize your hormones. And so the meals are all based on that, right? And so we did get ourselves an affiliate link. If you go to mindpumpmedia.com forward slash vertical. Then you can take a look at all these meals, and uh, there'll be a direct link in the show notes too, because I know that probably is going to be tough. <laughs> it may just be Sal's face only. Watch out. Yeah, we got to change the yeah. picture. That was on. It's not optimized for the phone. It's, it's Sal. Yeah, it's just me yeah. in the middle there. But it's just looking tough. And his Amber Crombie shirt, yeah, yeah, all hella small. Oh, Arrow Postal. Yeah, I, just, I had a pump. Anyways, I had a pump. That's yeah. why it was Doug's shirt. Uh, but anyway, also, you know, I do want to mention September. We have launched our newest Maps program, Maps Strong. It's our strongman-inspired fitness program, fantastic for building strength, uh, stamina, and boosting your metabolism. It's a great metabolism-boosting program. It is relatively advanced, but it is awesome. You can find it at mapsstrong.com. Now, for those of you who want, who have different goals or maybe you're not quite as advanced, we have other MAPS programs you could take a look at or bundles. For example, our Super Bundle which combines multiple MAPS programs and puts them in an order where you follow them one at a time for a full year. So it's literally one year of exercise programming. It's called the Super Bundle, but we have others as well. You can find all of those at mapsfitnessproducts.com. And without any further ado, here we are talking to Stan Efforting the Rhino. So Stan, uh Pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Uh, huge fan of yours. You're you're known as uh, one of the more business savvy bodybuilders. Obviously known as being one of the strongest uh, bodybuilders in, in the history of bodybuilding. Not one um, of the right. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the uh, you're very outspoken, very honest, tending not to shy away from things. Very in- interesting uh, individual. I want to I want to know. I want to go back. I want to know how, what got you here. Like what got you started with all this and. I know you had a sports background growing up. Like, what what got you into into bodybuilding and then the business of it? Were you insecure like the rest of us? Yep. Okay. Inferiority <laughs> comp. 100, 100 pounds in high school. So a hundred. Oh, okay. Yes, I wrestled one oh ninety eight as a freshman and sophomore. One oh six as a junior. Yeah, you might was, win on the smallest guy I, yeah, originally because I, I was, was like one one fifty. Sal, you were like one thirty, right? No, no. <laughs> I, I, when I graduated at one ninety, but I had started lifting at fourteen. So yeah, wow. Well, it didn't work for me. When I got to college, I was one thirty five, and I couldn't bench one thirty five. I had to take the forty five pound plates off. Yeah, I know how embarrassing that was because there was about fifteen frat boys. I remember the being this kid. Yeah, I yeah. was tw- I was twenty years old and benching the twenty fives oh, on each side. All I wanted all, was man. the big wheels. Like, yeah. let me get to the big wheels. That was an accomplishment at the time. <laughs> Who'd have thought? But it was just a matter of uh, just so I could get like the water to to move when it went down my body instead of straight. <laughs> it actually moved a little bit. Uh, no chest, sunken chest. But it was really, you know, it was just a matter of, uh, you call it insecurity or whatever. I just wanted to be jacked. Mm. And that's kind of how the whole thing started. And I always had this, uh, uh, I've talked before, I've had this OCD personality uh, growing up. I, I counted all my steps and I, I was uh, subject to these repetitive behaviors uh, 
uh, ticks and the like. And uh, I did an interview recently with um, Dave Palumbo and people were calling me out on my ticks thinking I was uh, uh, on crack or something. Oh, really? Yeah. Every now and then they emerge. I was a sniffer, a chronic. All my friends used to think I was on Doing coke, coke or something. <laughs> yeah. So I had these repetitive behaviors. People who know me recognize it uh, and they're nice enough not to bring it up. But as a kid, of course, you're always trying to hide these weirdness. Mm -hmm. But the, the benefit of that was, is those repetitive behaviors uh, made me a great bodybuilder and powerlifter because right. that's all that's about yeah. is really just every single day counting things, you know, sets, reps, meals, sleep, everything. So I, I wrote everything down and I just started cranking away and uh, it took a long, long time, obviously, but, and the same thing in business, repetitive behaviors. People think it's about home runs. It's about singles. It's dingers. Every single day, wake up and you do your little checklist and that's the way I've been able to be successful both in bodybuilding and powerlifting from someone who probably wouldn't be considered necessarily genetically inclined uh, at my size. My pops is, you know, 5'10", a buck 60. But, you know, you overcome that with just consistency and determination, and repetitive behavior. So that's kind of really sums it up is that I was just uh, uh, OCD and just chronically uh, repeated the same things that I, I thought would gonna were gonna work. So I'm, true. Consistency is the most absolute most important thing. And, and, and now, when when t people tend to develop patterns, uh, like you said, OCD type patterns, many times um, they'll say it's because it gives them a, a feeling of control, because maybe their lives feel chaotic. Did you was that true for you? Was did you have a chaotic life? Did you feel like that maybe was a way for you to gain control, or was it not that? Yeah, I don't know that it was chaotic necessarily, but uh, I I didn't like the uncertainty, uh, and I still don't. I have to do my budget, and I have to mm. uh, have my checklist. I haven't competed in five or six years. I say all the time, I still have a checklist. I check my weight every single morning, and I, I've, I've got all these little things that I do on a daily basis, whether it's my 10-minute walks or my vitamin D or my meal frequency and timing. Uh, I run around now telling everybody to get thermos uh, so they can <laughs> pack their monster mash in thermos so they can have their meal every three to four hours or whatever their schedule is. And so I, you know, now that I've been traveling so much over the last year, I've been in, you know, 10 or 11 countries and 20 states and probably wow. the last nine months. And uh, the biggest benefit to me is, is that I have these, these, uh, these uh, patterns, these behaviors where I'm always scheduling my meals, prepping them, taking them with me. I've got four or five thermos if I'm going to be gone for 12 hours and I've got frozen meals in my checked luggage if I'm flying to Canada or to the UK or wherever. And so that's all taken care of. And now I can relax. Now I can focus. Uh, it was one of the reasons I hired and trained with Flex was I could turn my brain off. And he would manage all of that for me. And all I had to do was go in and focus on training and um, you know, just set up my schedule of, of uh, nutrition and meals, et cetera. That's very common with uh, successful individuals that they have uh, their routines that they're very consistent about. Um, it's a super, super common trait that you see with successful athletes um, and entrepreneurs and business people. Um, Wearing the same clothes every day. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. See, there you go, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Making fun of my clothes. That I'm almost there. I'm this yeah. close to wearing the same shirt. No, I'm that bad. Day. I have to have the color-coordinated T-shirts, and I, I wear the same damn thing every day. Now it's my Get Vertical shirt. If you look at any picture of me in the last five months, it's I'm wearing the same damn shirt, and I've got like six of them, and that's how my brain works. If there's a, a different one in there, then I'm confused for a minute. Oh, it takes that's me a while. You're making me feel yeah. so much better right now. Right. Uh, but when you first, when you started working out, did your body respond quickly? When did you realize that you had potential for 
these the sports of you know strength or, or bodybuilding not at all and here's the reason why is because back then we didn't have the information we have now and everything it was the guy behind the counter and he was dieting for a bodybuilding show so that was your bodybuilder and he was dieting on uh, boneless skinless chicken breast and broccoli and egg whites and white fish mm. and so you started eating like that or I did and rice cakes and it's no wonder I wasn't able to gain any mass. Mm. Plus, you went down and you got Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia Bodybuilding and started hammering away six days a week, two, hour, two plus hours a day. I did the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so you didn't realize I was, all I was doing was breaking down muscle tissue and not rebuilding it. And it wasn't for, boy, it was a couple, three years. My first competition, I weighed 158. It was the 160 and under competition. And, was this bodybuilding uh, or powerlifting? Bodybuilding. Mm. Yeah, I was, it took me 10 years to get strong enough to powerlift. I, I was just, I presumed that the stronger I got, the bigger I would get. Mm-hmm. Now, I've since learned that's not the case. But back then, that's what I thought. And so I was doing singles and no wonder I wasn't growing. Mm. I wasn't eating enough and I was training too much. Uh, so the, the same problem. If I knew then what I know now, obviously, we have done that very different. And after a few years, I did come across someone who reversed those things for me. We, we trained less often. We ate more. Uh, and then I started to be able to gain weight as a result. Mm. What was one of the biggest, like the first paradigm, I guess, changing moments with your training? Was it just the less workouts or the, or the, like you said, the more food? What was, what, what did you have any of those moments where you're like, oh shit. This it is- was a combination of the two. I started noticing that I was actually getting stronger because I was training a little less often. I had more recovery time. Uh, you don't grow in the gym is the article I wrote many years ago, which mm-hmm. I learned 27 years ago from a friend of mine. He told, told me that you don't grow in the gym. And I was like, really? I thought lifting weights made you bigger. Mm-hmm. And he had to educate me that, no, that's not the case. That's the stimulus. That's how you break down mm-hmm. muscle tissue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it was a combination. And none of this stuff happens in a vacuum. It's a, it's a, a symphony, an orchestra. And that's why in my vertical diet, I've got sleep, hydration, uh, training, nutrition. Uh, You can't do any one by itself. And in the absence of optimizing any of those, it's going to make all the rest suffer. So Mm. I started improving my sleep. I started improving my nutrition. And again, that was packing food in my backpack so I could go to class. I'm loading in peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and um, uh, hard-boiled eggs. Uh, imagine what those smell like when you open them up in a Tupperware four hours later. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody 10 rows up in class is looking around. I've got my hard boiled eggs up there and I'm like, sorry, (laughs) but eating more food was a big deal. Now, now of course I'm pretty particular about the kinds of food I eat, but, uh, you know, of primary importance was calories at that point. So that's when I started to really see results. Let's talk about genetics for a second, because, uh, we know how important genetics are for, you know, bodybuilding or strength or performance or um, a lot of things, a lot of things that you, you, you can perform well at genetics play a significant role. And there's this belief that, you know, bodybuilders and strength athletes have these insane genetics where they just, they, they were automatically built and strong. And obviously what you're saying counters that. I mean, you're going into college, uh, you know, graduating high school at a hundred pounds. That doesn't sound like uh, great genes, uh, yeah. but there are genetics in terms of how you respond to exercise or food or even how you respond to anabolics and stuff like that. Like may- maybe touch on that a little bit. How how big of a role do, gene- do genetics play and, and how big of a role do you think that played with you or, or not uh, a role with yeah. you? Well, it's huge. I always say genetics reign supreme. Uh, you know, your mom and dad matter in this deal. And uh, what I found is that lots of times I would come across training partners. I trained with Aaron Madrin way back in the uh, uh, late eighties and he was an IFBB pro, a fantastic uh, pro. And, you know, he would go out with his buddies, drink until four o'clock in the morning. And then he would show up at seven to train with me. 
uh, missing meals, missing sleep, uh, breathing or sweating uh, vodka while I'm trying to bench uh, and I'm breathing that in. Uh, but he was massive. I mean, this guy had 20 plus inch arms and 20 plus inch calves and uh, 32 inch quads. And he was just massive. And I realized uh, somewhere along the way that uh, I, I wasn't that guy. And I was going to have to do everything 100%. And that meant every night of sleep, you know, I never went out drinking and I never stayed up late. I always was in bed on time, even all through college and thereafter when I was working in bodybuilding. Uh, but I also kept my day job because I never real, I never thought I would make money at bodybuilding. A lot of people will reach out to me and talk about their bodybuilding career. Mm. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold up. Bodybuilding is not a career. You know, it's a, it's a hobby. And even if you become a great bodybuilder, you're still going to have to be a pretty good businessman uh, in today's environment to create your own uh, financial opportunities. You can't, nobody's going to knock on your door and say, here you go, pal, you know, just lift, eat and train. Yeah, uh, so many know, eat, sleep, and train, and I'm going to pay you for it. Yeah, so right. many bodybuilders don't know that they they don't they don't understand mm-hmm. that. But you understand it early on, obviously. What what were you? When did bodybuilding become you know a money maker for you? What right. were you doing before that? What was your career in your in your business? You know, I never made money in bodybuilding until after I was retired. It seems odd. Years after I was retired from bodybuilding. Uh, because I never monetized it that way. Because I, again, I kept my day job mm-hmm. and I pursued other career avenues. Um, uh, it was a hobby for me. It was a passion. I wanted to be a pro bodybuilder, obviously. And of course, when you're doing that in the early 90s, when they're only giving out one pro card at the USA's and one per weight class at the Nationals, and the weight class is everybody over 198. And you've got, you know, the top 10 guys at Nationals. You know, you're talking Flex Wheeler, Chris Cormier, Mike Francois. Mm. The list goes on and on. They're all on the front cover of magazines. They're still amateurs. And we hear a lot about that today. The quality and the depth of the competitors just aren't what they were in the early 90s because pro cards are much more available. So there's a, a, a smaller talent pool. Um, Do you agree with that? Do you think 100%? Yeah. yeah. They're, th- those guys in the early 90s were ridiculous. Mm. Uh, and, there was m- and they were fighting for one card or two cards a year. Not a hundred. Yeah, there was great bodybuilders that would have been pros for or been trying to become a pro for ten years, and yeah, we would yeah. have smoked right into it now for mm-hmm. sure back mm-hmm. then. For sure, and that's not to say anything except for the fact that that it was much much harder to get that yeah. card. And now there's so many cards that you've got a smaller talent. Well, plus way less shows too, right? The amount of shows they were doing is yeah. I mean, now you have shows going on every, almost every two weeks. There's like a show somewhere where there's and there was one class. It was bodybuilding, right? Now you got figure, physique, bikini. Classic. Uh, classic, yeah. You've got a whole host of different avenues, which I think is fantastic that people can pursue their dreams and their talent. When I was a 135-pound guy, the only way to turn pro was to be 250 shredded at six foot. And so that was the goal. There was no 185. There was no 210. There was, none of those opportunities existed. Uh, so that was the one goal, and that meant you had to get huge. You had to get up to 300 pounds and diet down to 250. Mm. Uh, and that became my obsession. Hmm. Now, having trained uh, at such a high level for as long as you have, I mean, you're, you've got to be, well, you're, you're one of the strongest, if not the strongest bodybuilders now, and you're not a super young guy. You've been doing this for a long time. means you've been training your ass off for a very, very long time. Has the, has the training methodologies and the attitudes towards training has, have you seen changes in trends? Mm. Because you've worked out, you know, since the early 90s at a very, very high level, you know, 90s, early 2000s and today, and you've been in the world of, of bodybuilding and strength. Are you seeing these different trends and stuff happen? You know, what I saw working in the early 90s still works today. 
and the science is now supporting it. Uh, I think I was at a symposium recently and one of the PhDs that was there said, um, uh, the bros were right. <laughs> and that's what I discovered when I used to get in my car and take my trek down to Venice to watch those guys train back in the early 90s. Every single one of them trained twice a day, ate seven plus meals a day, slept eight, nine hours a night and took a nap every afternoon. Got a bunch every of sun. Every single one of them got a bunch of sun. Um, you know, I think they've got the Bob Bowl down at, uh, at Firehouse Restaurant down there and it's <laughs> steak and rice. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't invent this thing, this whole vertical diet steak and rice thing. I, I don't claim to have invented it. I watched it happening 25 years ago right in front of my eyes. These guys were putting down mounds and mounds of steak. I tried the chicken. I tried the white fish. I tried the egg whites. I tried the uh, rice cakes and it didn't work. And it still doesn't work today. Right. Uh, but I watched it, what these guys did. Um, and every single one of them, in the same way Flex trained me in 2008, it was two a day hypertrophy sessions, lots of volume, lots of frequency. Uh, I did notice that their intensity was less than what I was doing. When I say intensity, the heavy, heavy weights, all the de muscle damage. These Gross guys, motor movements, all that stuff. they prioritized uh, uh, recuperation. Mm -hmm. It's the law of repeated mm -hmm. bouts. Frequency and volume was prioritized yes. over damage. Absolutely. That, the delayed onset muscle soreness from 500 pound stiff legged deadlifts uh, didn't uh, bode well for the mm -hmm. law of repeat, you know, repeated bouts. That, I definitely think there's, a, there's, a, there's value in training like that throwing it into your routine. But if that's all you ever do. Every single workout, yeah. every single set to failure yeah. with heavy weights, the, you're, you're accumulating fatigue. Yeah. Is, you're not going to recover. And you know, it was a wrench in all that was, because some people, there are, those, there's always individual variances, right? There's sure. always those people. And yeah, it was the Bulgarians. I, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> they've weeded out all the people yeah. with, with weak central nervous system. <laughs> <laughs> but like Dorian, like Dorian Yates hits the scene. He has a very different style of training, right? Going mm -hmm. to failure, uh, one set per exercise, one or two, yeah. you know, Mike Menser, that whole, you know, Arthur Jones mentality. And so then I feel like bodybuilding kind of started going in that direction a little bit with, you know, one workout, each one body part, you know, one body part, each body part once a week type of deal. But I look, I've been training people for 20 years. I train every, I train average people. So mm -hmm. I don't work with bodybuilders or whatever, but I see what works with average people and frequency and volume and monitoring intensity works great for most people. The yeah. whole like hammer the shit out of someone real hard and let yeah. them, you know, wait a whole week didn't doesn't work for a whole lot of people. It's that frequency. Are you starting to see that come back now with the new bodybuilders? I'm starting to see that come back. I'm forced into that now. I can't uh, do what I used to do when I was powerlifting. There's just no way I can get under and grind under those big, heavy 600, 700 pound squat sets thinking. Mm -hmm. that. Plus, I learned finally when I trained with Flex just how important it was just how much bodybuilding helped powerlifting and Great how point. much powerlifting hurt bodybuilding. Mm. I started to learn the difference mm. and I started to not power build anymore. I started to actually specialize. And when I trained with Flex, he wouldn't let me squat or deadlift. Not one repetition of those things over the 10 week period that he worked with me for uh, getting my pro card back in, in 2009. And that was the purpose of that is it would have impaired or impeded or reduced the amount of volume and frequency that we could have done. And I was significantly more full and voluminous. My legs were larger. And I've told this story before. My Your legs changed a lot. Changed a lot. In yeah. 2009 with Flex, they were 30 inches on stage. Yeah. It was 254 pounds. And your reps changed. You were doing 20 plus reps, 20 right? 20 plus reps. The legs in particular uh, yeah. liked the extra reps. And we weren't going to, to failure necessarily. It was mostly oxygen debt, lactic acid buildup. So it was hard hard work, but uh, it wasn't mechanical failure mm -hmm. in the sense that those heavy squats would be. And you find that a lot of guys, like Dorian didn't squat. 
uh, he would leg press and hack squat. And one of the reasons is, is that once you hit the lumbar spine, deadlifting or squatting, you completely change the fatigue level and the, the amount of delayed onset muscle soreness in the recovery. And whether or not you call that central nervous system or what have you, I, we use that word, you know, we throw it around like mm. we know what it means, but we don't. Uh, but you can feel the fatigue. You can, you know, you're not recovering. Uh, and so, you know, we made sure to do lots of volume and, and my, my body responded to that. And what was interesting is, is, is recently I attended a seminar with John Meadows. Uh, he and I were both presenting uh, with uh, Charles Poliquin uh, recently down in, um, great group. Uh, in Denver. Yeah, it was a good group. And he talked through his program and it, it was very, very similar to what Flex and I did. He started with a mind-muscle connection exercise. We did one-legged leg extensions. Then he moved on to what he called his blast exercise. That would be his leg press where he would get a significant amount of weight. And he'd do four sets there, but the first three sets were, you know, a few reps from failure or less. And only the last set did he go to failure mm-hmm. or do a drop set or, you know, just pretty much push himself to the limit. Failure is abused a lot nowadays. I mean, it's been abused a long time. Uh, a lot. And particularly for the lower body is mm-hmm. where, you know, upper body, you can do a lot of damage to your back doing rows and chins and probably still recover within 72 hours. But the legs a completely different animal. And probably a lot of that has to do yeah. with the spinal cord. It is important to note too, though, you know, in, in defense of deadlifts and squats, you know, when, when I work with most everyday average people, the functionality and the muscle building that comes from learning how to do those very fun foundational human movements, yes. very important. Someone like you who mastered squatting and deadlifting because you power lifted for so long, you're going to go into- Less of a priority. It, well, less of a priority. It's a, it's not a new stimulus for right, you. A new it's, it's an old stimulus yeah. for you. Changing to a leg press or, or you know a hack squat or other movements- you're going to get some change in your body. You've been doing the other yeah. ones for so long. Well, and you're also starting to utilize just the quad. Yeah. When I throw a bar Because you got really back, good at it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When I throw a bar on my back, it's all about leverage. Now I'm incorporating the hips, the right. glutes, the, the spinal erectors. The entire body. I, I'm not interested in using one muscle group. I'm trying to get the entire body involved in the, mm. in the movement. So- Flex made me use one muscle group. We brought our feet in and down on the leg press. and, and uh, so How did that I, feel at first? Were you like, oh shit, this, oh, my legs are shaking. I was pressing 14 <laughs> plates aside for 20 reps. And then I come in and train with Flex. And I'm down to six plates aside because he had adjusted the rest periods. He had brought, moved my feet down to where oh, it was wow. all quads. And you could just feel the quad tearing off the bone. Let me do the two more steps on John Meadows' program that I thought was very similar oh, yeah. to what Flex and I did. We said we had the mind-muscle connection, leg extension, single leg leg extension. Then we moved to a, um, a blast exercise, which was the leg press for us. And we, we uh, worked up, got some decent weight on us, 20 rep sets, uh, maybe two-minute rests. Um, and then we'd move on to a pumping exercise. Flex had us do, say, one-legged step-ups with a band on a box. And it was just rep after rep after rep and the amount of blood and volume that, that it Ugh. put into the muscles. So that was a pumping exercise. Or a throw up just listening to that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and then we would finish, uh, John finishes with what he calls stretching. Uh, and Flex would have us kneel down in between sets or finish with a walking lunge, which would put an incredible amount of stretch on the quadricep. Especially after it's pumped. Especially after it's pumped. And you just, you could feel the muscle almost like it's tearing off the bone when you squat down in between sets of leg presses or you do the walking lunges to finish just that tearing and tearing and stretching. And, and I don't mean that in the literal sense, the tearing it is, but it, it, it's that full range of motion. And for hypertrophy, that's optimal. So important. Yep. To get that full range of motion, anything that you need to do. I always had uh, tight ankles, uh, calves, and, and lack of, of uh, mobility in my ankles. So we would have to stretch those first on a calf machine, uh, or um, uh, we would have to use an angle plate, or I would be pushing off my toes just so I could get my quads into a stretch position. 
mm. without um, transferring a load onto my glutes because my ankles were the limiting factor for flexibility. So that was really interesting to hear that. It was, you know, because Flex isn't a scientific guy and people dog him all the time because he's not book read and he doesn't quote studies, but I don't know anybody. You know, they say that, you know, blind men hear better and, and deaf people see better. Uh, Flex is one of those kind of guys. He's, he's a, uh, the kind of guy who is street smart and his eye is, is incredible. And he would, we would pose after every workout and weigh in every single day. And, uh, he would watch mm -hmm. me train, uh, and he was consciously measuring all of that and observing that. And I told the story one time when I, uh, my teeth were hurting from all the steak that he had me eat. I was eating top sirloin steak on a Foreman grill. Were you cooking it or what? Yeah, I was, cooking, I was cooking it on a Foreman grill. And so it was always tough. But he had me eating steak like seven times a day. Holy shit. Uh, we had, that's almost all we ate and uh, for, for protein source, mm -hmm. and uh, which was hugely beneficial, uh, as it turns out, for me. because the, Like cholesterol, creatine? Everything. Oh, right. Yeah, the, the iron, the B12, the zinc, everything was great about that. But my teeth started hurting. And so I switched to white fish and, and chicken breast for a couple of days. And I went into the gym and I'd lost three pounds and I was posing with flex. And he's like, what's going on? He's like, your weight's down. You look flat. You're, you were lethargic today during your workout. And I'm, you know, I'm looking around. I can't even look him in the eye. Now were the, <laughs> now were the macros the same, same grams of protein yeah, and everything. Yeah. yeah. I kept everything the same. I'll bet the calories did go down a little bit because the uh, white fish and chicken is, is leaner mm -hmm. than the steak. Uh, but I don't think it was significant enough to lose three pounds in two days. No. Uh, but nonetheless, um, so he looks over, I was training with Keith Williams at the time and Keith's looking up at the ceiling because neither one of us could, you know, look flex in the eye and lie to him. And, uh, so finally I told him, I said, I, you know, my teeth hurt and he's like, suck it up. Get a, <laughs> and he said, he said, get a meat grinder. And I'm like, Wow. What a novel idea. <laughs> so that's in my vertical diet today. I did that for Thor and Shaw. They use a meat grinder to grind their meat. That's why the Monster Mash. See, all of this stuff came from my experience yeah. uh, with, you know, I think some of the greatest coaches and trainers and uh, in the it, world. Explain this with. Monster Mash. I've heard you reference it a couple of times. I've heard it in your videos. What yeah. is it? Yeah, well, it's red meat. And, okay. and it's, you know, we it's either ground bison or ground beef okay. mixed with white rice, which was our staple with Flex because it's easy to digest. It was easy in my stomach. I could get in a ton of calories. He had me on 600 plus grams of carbs dieting for a show. I was losing body fat because our workload was so high. I needed to fuel it with something. Mm -hmm. And I can't fuel it with bread, pizza, pasta, pancakes because it'll blow out your stomach or even oatmeal. It's what I found from personal experience with the athletes that I work with. When they start stuffing oatmeal in themselves, it has kind of a cumulative effect of creating bloating and gas and indigestion. Food intolerances. And I think a lot of people learn this as they get older. I don't get, you can't get away with that shit as you. No, no. And that's one of the first things I found with Thor and Shaw. Two guys who have to consume damn near 10,000 calories a day. I've got them over 1,100 grams of carbs a day. And I can't feed them foods that are going to cause distress to their gut. Uh, so I found the foods that were the easiest to digest, the low gas vegetables, the bone broth, uh, to get back to the monster mash. I, I, in order for them to be able to eat that much food, I had to make it easier for them to eat more palatable, the amylase production, the, 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 you know, just being able to, to, to palate the food, right. to chew it and, and swallow it was the first uh, challenge. So when you add some bone broth, into the white rice, a moist white rice, into a ground bison, which is a, a really easy, uh, uh, it's even better than ground beef in terms of its, its digestibility uh, because it's so soft. And, and uh, so that was kind of the base meal. 
was the Monster Mash. And they were able to accumulate a ton of calories with a very high, uh, uh, you know, biological value nutrient term. We talked about mm-hmm. the the, uh, the B vitamins and the iron and uh, the zinc. And um, they could get the bulk of their calories from that and have no indigestion. They became regular, which is one of the big things I focus on. Because usually as power lifter, working with big guys who have to eat lots of food, most of us are running to the bathroom all the time. Yeah, I bet. From a whole assortment of things, whether it be protein powders or bars full of uh, sugar alcohols or casein uh, allergies or breads, pasta, pizza, pancakes, you know, all those things that cause uh, indigestion and gas and bloating. So I tried to eliminate that and make them more efficiently able to use those calories. I found they could eat a, 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 a little bit fewer calories and still maintain their weight. They're assimilating I'd more. say their body's using it. It's, it's yeah. funny you say this because, well, two things, in reference to Flex and, and his knowledge, I'll take wisdom over knowledge uh, any day. 100%. And wisdom really is just knowledge plus experience is, is really what it is. And it's just, it's more valuable. The other thing too is, you know, a lot of the stuff you're saying, you know, strength athletes have been, Vince Caronda, who was the scientist of bodybuilders way back in the day, advocated for these very high cholesterol, you know, protein, red meat, and yep. full fat dairy, yep. egg yolk type of diets. And this is the way bodybuilders ate back then. And, mm-hmm. and this is how they built a lot of muscle. And then we got a lot of misinformation about, you know, oh, you know, eating cholesterol is this, that, and the other. Watch your sodium. That's another big one I know you talk about is this whole eat yeah. low sodium, which sodium is, uh, especially if you train and sweat, you should probably eat a lot of sodium. A lot it's gonna, of sodium. It, it'll give you more strength yep. and, and make you, you know, uh, much healthier uh, as a result. 100%. But it's funny you talk about gut health. You know, we when we first started our podcast about four years ago, we were talking about the benefits of monitoring or making sure that you have good gut health for people who want to build muscle and burn body fat, not just for people who just want to mm-hmm. be healthy. And a lot of people thought that laughed at us and thought that was silly. And I'm like, look, look. Yeah, it's just for hippies. Your gut, that's the membrane between, I mean, when you eat something, it's not in your body. That's a hole that goes from your mouth to your, 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 your anus. When it gets absorbed through the, the gut, that's when it becomes a part of your body. If you take care of your gut, you assimilate more food and you can build more muscle and burn more body fat. And now we're starting to see people like you, very influential people, start to promote that message, which I think, I'll tell you what, some of the worst gut health issues I've ever seen in my life are people in the strength building, muscle building world. Yeah. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a, a, an epidemic well, uh, and, and also your immune system improves. Oh, yeah. I remember what it was like. You know, I put my body through torture. And with the performance enhancing drugs on top of the horrible diet, uh, you know, just the eating everything you can kind of diet, you're sick all the time. You know, every three or four months, your liver is always taxed. Mm. You know, I get blood tests every month for the last 12 years. I know exactly what happens uh, depending on how I eat and what I use and uh, compete in the sport. And now I'm able to use those lessons with my athletes and I'm able to actually watch their liver enzymes come down, their appetite improve, their Just from the system, food. Just from the food. Wow. A few of the things in my diet contribute to that. You mentioned the salt, sodium mm-hmm. chloride, hydrochloric acid, digestion's big. Do you have them take uh, uh, HCL, HCL pills, pills when they're yeah. eating? <clears throat> Some of them I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I recommend it to a lot of folks. It's in, in the diet program I mm-hmm. talk about it. I just did a rant recently on, on stomach acid, on mm-hmm. low stomach acid, how that affects digestion mm-hmm. uh, and creates autoimmune disorders. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had people on antacid prescription medication for years who could come off within a week. I went through that process myself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and started introducing HCL pills was a game changer for me. Game changer. Yeah. yeah. And I think, see, I think the performance benefits are just a side effect of, of good digestion. Mm-hmm. God, it's so, it's mm-hmm. so uh, refreshing to hear that coming from someone like you. You never hear people 
you know, big, strong, you know, bodybuilder types or people in that space talk about it in that way. It's always the wellness people that nobody wants to look like. That's yeah. that kind of stuff. And yeah. I've been able to, you know, I've lived through it and then I've been able to utilize it. Most powerlifters, they'll come, they'll weigh in and they'll head straight to IHOP. And that puts them in a really bad situation, particularly if they lost a significant amount of water. And then they end up in a position where they're cramping, their body's not digesting the food. Uh, so, you know, I'm very particular about what people refeed on, uh, what Hawthorne Brian eat preparing, uh, going into the world's strongest man in Manila, uh, and actually the hydration protocol that they used. Um, I worked with uh, uh, Camille LeBlanc this year, CrossFit national champion, and Ben Smith, another CrossFit, and Becca Voigt. And all of them, uh, Ben Smith in particular, about a month before regionals, he suffered heat stroke. And he reached out to me and he said, he said, I'm down. He says, I feel like I've got rhabdo. I've got heat stroke. I can't go outside. I'm tired. I'm sick. My gut hurts. And so I reached out to Dr. Sander Grodick's group in uh, uh, the Heat Institute and their thermoregulation uh, uh, experts. He's a PhD in hydration. Um, and they gave us, they, they helped me with a hydration protocol, which is, is a huge component of recovery and uh uh, you know, fueling yourself during training. And, and so we, that's when I started um, promoting the, uh, what we call like a cyclic dextrin. I do the fructose and dextrose. They mm. do dextrose and maltodextrin, but a blend of two carbs doubles the rate at which you can absorb the carbohydrates. Then if, versus if it's just one. Versus if it's just one. And then you add sodium, it goes to three. Rather than one gram per minute of, of, of glucose absorbed, you can go to two grams with two carbohydrate sources. You can go to three grams with oh, the salt. Mm. And you can go to four grams, uh, as much as four grams when you add a little bit of caffeine to that. Mm. And I'm not a huge coffee fan because of its impact on digestion and how people become dependent on it uh, and end up lacking sleep and, and hydration. But uh, when used strategically, it can be a performance enhancer. So, and I got a lot of this from uh, George Lockhart, who trains uh, Conor McGregor and, and John mm -hmm. Jones. I mean, George has, has trained everybody uh, and helped them do water cuts. And he's the, the nutritionist for these people. And uh, years ago, uh, I thought he was one of the best in the business. And so I, I hired him. I called him up and I flew him out to Las Vegas and I had him help me work with a pro fighter that I was training for a fight. And I had probably done water cuts for just about every world record holder in every weight class in powerlifting up to that point. But I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. And I had never trained an athlete who had to recover from a, a water deficit weigh-in and perform in a cardiovascular performance. Yeah, different. Mm -hmm. Very different. One rep is compared to putting in 20 minutes in the ring. And so I brought him out and we carefully put together a rehydration program, which was very similar to what Dr. Godick's group uh, recommended to me on behalf of Ben Smith and that I utilized with uh, Camille and Hofthorn Shaw. And it was that uh, the blend of carbohydrates, the sodium, and then the timing and then understanding the absorption rates. You can't just glug that thing down. I was going to ask that. Did, did they did they measure how it's getting absorbed? Do they? They do. They look at the rate of absorption, and okay. then they have you sip that drink over a, a period of time, and then offer your give yourself a little bit of a delay. They'll even. Uh, this is kind of where the ten minute walk came from, to be honest with you. Uh, George Lockhart would have his athletes after they would rehydrate. He wouldn't let them lay down in a bed. He would make them move around. He would have them take a brisk walk. So the legs were driving those mTOR pathways, right, to bring, you know, the, the, the glycogen of the glucose into the muscle uh, without the necessity of the insulin key. And so he would use that and then they would, they would rest for a while and then they would have another drink uh, and then they'd walk around and before they would start having a meal. And when I was implementing that 
uh, with athletes, they were recovering better, much, much better, having more energy, maintaining their weight, gaining their weight back. Camille, over the course of five days with three competitions a day in CrossFit uh, in, in the finals, she gained a pound. Well, when does that happen? Never. Right. Yeah. And that's because of the hydration. And she was eating Monster Mash too, which I was excited about. <laughs> so I got it. This is this is really fun to get into this because I used to talk a lot about sodium and water. I was when I got into competing. So I was men's physique pro, right? And I got into competing, and I found the sodium and water game was everything. Yeah. And I I don't even think that I mastered that at all. So if you were to walk me through a protocol, if you were getting me ready to peak on stage. You know, and then the so what would my sodium intake? And I know there's going to be an individual variance as far as how much, but you know, like how much are you pushing me in getting ready for the show? And then peak week, what does that kind of look like? The water and sodium, what would you what would you do to yeah? Do with boy, me? now we're talking a very different thing, right? Right? Yeah, no, I know. I yeah. I was waiting. I wanted you to finish yeah, that, but I had to ask you. And appearance is two completely right. different things. Totally. Right? So, uh, That's I'm a not good point be, to make. Yeah, I do want to get. A hydration. I do want to get an athlete, uh, get some carbs and salt back in their system after they've dehydrated uh, for a bodybuilding show. But I got to be careful how much water I put in them now, and uh, make sure that 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 they don't start to, like you say, smooth out or, or right. get too much water inside of them. So um, I'm not a huge fan of of. Uh, I think that most of what people do for dropping water or trying to get lean for a, a bodybuilding show is to compensate for not being in shape. Agreed. Uh, nowadays the preps are 16 plus weeks. It used to be that people would think eight to 10 weeks they could get prepped for a show. Uh, and especially with the men's uh, classic bodybuilding now, I mean, they just want you so shredded and dry that you just have to prep longer. And that's the first mm -hmm. thing I caution competitors about is like, look, you need to, like Dorian said, he was ready a month out. Yeah. And when flex had me, uh, training, I was ready a month out and we were actually fighting not to lose weight. Right. We were, we were increasing calories, but kept our workload uh, high, uh, just to, the, the metabolism takes off. And, and in that way, you can uh, avoid having to do any of the, the, the quote unquote tricks, the, the carb depletion, carb loading, sodium deplete, sodium load. And so I really don't play that game. Mm. I, I get them in, in shape on time, and then I, I may put just a few carbs in them based on how they look uh, and how they feel. Uh, but, you know, Flex and I even made that mistake after all these many years. Uh, four or five days before the Olympia, he did a photo shoot with uh, Pear Bernal. And I, sh I posted the pictures just from my iPhone and a video, I think, on social media. And he looked incredible. I mean, just veins, dry, cross striated. I mean, he just looked amazing. Uh, and he was 214. He had to weigh 210, I think, at the uh, weigh-ins. So Friday morning, we wake up, he's still 214. He has to weigh 210, the weigh-ins at three in the afternoon. We could have done a lot of things different, but instead we popped a mild diuretic. Well, on flex, that pulled very, very hard because of his kidneys. And he ended up weighing in at 203. Wow. That afternoon. Wow. The next day, he weighed in at 203. Wow. It, he couldn't recover from it. And so he's backstage, had no pump, was completely flat. And of course, as you know, the muscles pull away from the skin and give that appearance uh, of flatness. You don't see any dryness, any definition. Mm -hmm. And this is generally what happens to a lot of people who end up getting deflated when they're up there trying to manipulate water and sodium. Uh, you want to be full. And women do this in particular, and then they end up shaking. Uh, you know, they should be tight and full. The muscles should be pushing against the skin. Yeah. Uh, so that was, it was a real disappointment for him. Uh, you know, it's not like he was up there necessarily with the expectation he was going to win, but he, he, 
He certainly, four days prior, looked just ridiculous, dry and grainy and shredded. And so we, we make the same mistakes after both of us, 30 years of, of experience, uh, that amateurs make. Well, there's a real there's a real art to that when you think about <laughs> there it. There really mean, is. When you, when you are that lean, I mean, the most, like that, the most subtle difference can make a huge difference on how you look because there's yeah. not as much room for air on a guy who's 3% body fat. And we know that when you try and get, you know... 2% better, you end up 10% worse. It, 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 the right. vast majority of time, that's what happens. I've been backstage and guys are like, a, uh, you know, I, I went and had a cheeseburger and, and fries last night with a soda and look at my veins and they're showing me yeah. their forearm. Well, then they pop their shirt off and they look like they're seven months pregnant. And I'm <laughs> like, well, there you have it. <laughs> right? so, I don't think I ever, I really never felt like I presented the best version. I'm, I mean, I did enough to make it up to the IFBB level, but I'd never felt like, I presented the best version of me. It was always yeah. the night before, the night after. I was like, God damn it, why did I just... even the most experienced people, seven-time Mr. Yeah. Olympia, Phil Heath, look what happened to him at the finals. Look how watery yeah, he was. What yeah. you, what, let's talk about that. So did you watch I, the show? I watched the show. And you know, and he's with one of the, the most experienced coaches in the business, Hani, who's been through this many, many, many times. I'm saying it's really hard to trick the body. It's part of what everything that I work on in my program is, is that there's no games or gimmicks or tricks or magic, and it's really the fundamentals. And uh, I, I think that that um, you know, I had heard he had had some problems going into the show, and so maybe they did some things that that, that to try and compensate for that. But uh, you know, obviously he was he was sweating a lot. That's not optimal, right? Uh, and he had lost the uh, the definition in his uh, lower abdominal oh, big area time. from the bloating. So. You know, that's difficult. And I can't speculate on that. I don't know behind the scenes what he did or he didn't do. I just, I can tell you that even the best uh, are up there trying to fine tune things and end up going backwards. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I tend to be conservative in that fashion. It didn't answer your question about <laughs> what I do for water and sodium yeah, and carbs right. the, the last 48, 24 to 48 hours before a show, because you can't really paint with a broad brush on that thing. You got to you know look at your individual athlete's conditioning. And uh, that's the big thing about training people is yet. Anybody can copy and paste a program, but you need to, to, to check in, get feedback. Even with Brian Shaw, you know, he started the program, uh, the vertical diet. He lost like 16 pounds of fat. Everybody saw him post a selfie with his shirt off and they were like, whoa, what's going on? You know, first time they've ever seen Brian with his shirt off and he's jacked and, you know, he's starting to get massive. Well, he reached out to me and said, look, Stan, he said, I'm losing my fifth gear. He said, you know, under these 1200 pound yokes, he said, I don't feel as stable. And so immediately we switched gears. I took him off the top sirloin, put him on the ribeye and put some bacon in his breakfast. And within less than a week, he was like, oh, okay, it's back. Mm. I mean, you have to be as a coach, like you say, with yeah. wisdom, with experience, able to make these kind of changes. I didn't yeah. have to do that with Thor. Do you see common mistakes? So I, I think that's what I was searching for from you is that because you're right, there's such an individual variance for everybody. And I know there's not a, a cookie cutter answer for that. But there were some things when I got into the space that, because I was unfamiliar, I, I didn't follow bodybuilding as closely as Sal did. But as I got into it, I, I saw a lot of people making what I thought were huge mistakes. And one of those, and you talk about this, which I think is fascinating, is the sodium is they get on these preps, whether it be eight week to 12 week long, and all of a sudden they start reducing sodium already in their diet. And you're already in a, you're making your meal. So most people don't understand that if you eat out, you're already 
quadrupling your sodium intake. So then you go from somebody who occasionally or maybe a lot eats out to all of a sudden making all your meals. So the reduction in your sodium already is significant. Oh, yeah. And then you get into a prep and then you start tapering off. And I was just like, this is... I talked about this in a rant regarding sodium that when people go to clean eating, they end up in a salt depleted and don't add salt to their diets. Right. They're actually depleting sodium. Because That's connected to mortality. Yes. Too low of sodium is not good for you. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's a dramatic increase in all cause mortality when you mm-hmm. get under three grams of sodium a day, yet the American Heart Association recommends 2.5 and it was at 1.5 for a while. Ugh. And not to say anything of the quality of life for those poor individuals that are, that think that that's, the biggest factor. It's multifactorial, but what we found from the research, and I just posted a post the other day, is that when you uh, get adequate calcium, and vitamin D is a big driver of that because it dramatically improves calcium absorption. And when you get adequate potassium, you, then your blood pressure uh, stabilizes, normalizes. Those are two biggies. Of course, sleep and a CPAP was another giant one. Sure. I've got 400 pound guys with normal blood pressure because I have 4,700 milligrams of potassium in their diet, because I have adequate vitamin D in their diet, which wasn't there previously. I did blood tests for Thor, I did blood tests for Shaw, I did blood tests for Dan Green. All of these guys uh, were at 25 or 30 in their vitamin D, and the range is 30 to 100. They need to be 60 to 80. And so it tells you how deficient they were in vitamin D. And a lot of them iodine, because they sweat a lot. And that's really important, both as part of the pathway for, for hydrochloric acid production and for immune system support. Uh, and for their uh, thyroid. So all of these things were huge. That's why I include them in my diet program because they have so many different benefits. Uh, so it's a lot of stuff. Well, how common is is exactly what you're talking about when you, because you trained a lot of people. Uh, what are some of the most common things that you have to adjust like right out the gates? Yeah, like, there you go. Vitamin D is always a biggie. Uh, obviously sodium. What's really interesting is you, you mentioned something. People uh, have been making these mistakes and mostly women. They're the ones that, that start rest- over-restricting and create these uh, conditions where they have uh, deficiencies. They uh, won't eat red meat. They won't eat dairy. They won't take in sodium. Uh, they won't take in fruit. And it, basically, they're on a white fish and broccoli diet. The four things I just mentioned, uh, dairy for calcium, which is hugely beneficial for metabolism. People don't realize that. Um, uh, red meat, iron, and B12, particularly with women, what do they go into an HRT clinic and get shots for every week? Right. Yeah. yeah, iron and B12 and D3 usually. Uh, so they create these deficiencies for themselves and then salt. And they're training, you know, two 40-hour sessions of cardio a day, which is another thing that, that dramatically suppresses their... Uh, their uh, metabolism, causes, yeah, their metabolism. Which, that, we should talk about this because that was another thing that blew my mind was looking at my peers hammering away on the cardio machine. And I'm thinking to myself... We want as much muscle on our bodies when we get on stage to present. And here you are eight weeks out doing hours of cardio. You're sending a signal to your body that is not advantageous to have a bunch of muscle on it. What the fuck are you doing? You're absolutely 100%. The body responds to the stimulus provided. And if you're going to ask your body to do an hour of cardio, then it's going to get rid of that muscle. It's heavy. It has high oxygen demand, high water demand. It's It's efficient. Yes. Uh, also what you find is that they wake up at four o'clock in the morning after five mm-hmm. hours of sleep Not to do this. Adequate, so now they've, yeah, now they've suppressed their thyroid and, and uh, all of this, uh, works contrary for them. The more they sleep, uh, the more fat they'll burn, uh, the leaner, the more lean muscle mass they'll retain, the less ghrelin they'll release. So they're not going to be as hungry. Uh, I prioritize sleep over, over uh, cardio all the time. I don't have any steady state cardio in my programs, not for anybody. I do the mm. 10 minute walks and it's not necessarily cardio. 
Uh, the 10-minute walks post-meal is to improve insulin sensitivity and digestion mm-hmm. and decrease bloating and gas. And again, I'm trying to drive those quads to start right. using uh, a different pathway because a lot of the big guys I train have insulin problems and a lot of the little people I train uh, that are dieting, uh, they, they have metabolic adaptation issues and I want to be able to feed them more mm-hmm. food. So I got to get them absorbing those nutrients better, the nutrient partitioning. Well, not to, and most, by the way, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in, in looking at old cultures and the customs that they have. And most old cultures have a custom of walking after a meal. It's a very common occurrence yeah. in many of these old cultures. There are muscles that travel from the hip, you know, the hip flexor complex and that travel over and through your gut or around your gut. Just flexing those stimulates movement through your intestines, not to mention gravity. If you're standing, it helps. That's why, that's why your anus is at the bottom of your body, not at the top. Yeah. And so eating and then sitting or laying down, terrible, absolutely terrible for digestion. 100%. So it happens on both ends. When we're talking about big athletes that need to eat a lot of food, we're worried about insulin resistance, right? Fatty liver and all the, you know, the cascade of events that occurs as a result. They stop putting on muscle and they start gaining more fat and they get more tired and everything else. When we're dieting, we're worried about metabolic adaptation. And so these methods of, of uh, getting adequate sodium, uh, getting adequate iodine, uh, getting fruit, which stimulates the liver, increases body temperature. Now there's one to combat uh, metabolic adaptation, increasing body temperature. And we see this, uh, I, I put the research in my diet about how anesthesiologists, when they measure the body temperature, when they bring somebody uh, back from an operation, they measure the body temperature. If it's too low, they'll infuse fructose into their IV mm. to bring their body temperature up before they bring them back. Yeah, the, mm. the, the way through the process of how the liver converts it. Yes, right? mm. absolutely. And, uh, you know, obviously too much fructose is a problem. Yeah, you don't want to drink a bunch of sodas. Of sodas. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I talk in my night about, you know, opti- an optimal dose. And so I use just a few ounces of fructose. We're talking 10, 12 grams three or four times a day. Now we know the liver can handle what 7,500 grams a day of fructose pretty consistently. So three or four times a day, I get 10, 12 grams of fructose, three or four ounces of fruit, whether it's a half an orange or it's three ounces of orange juice. Uh, I use the oranges for people who are dieting, who have uh, uh, problems with hunger and cravings. And I use the orange juice for people who are trying to gain weight because it improves appetite or increases appetite. Mm. Uh, But it doesn't, it's not so much, it's isn't a 12 ounce glass three times a day. It's not so much fructose that, that you know, it's going to start to cause fatty liver problems and, uh, and insulin resistance. Although fructose uh, has less insulin release, uh, requires less uh, insulin release than, than glucose. Uh, and it ameliorates the effect of something like glucose, like a bread or something like that or pasta. It actually reduces the insulin release, the amount of insulin released and the length of time at mm-hmm. which it stays elevated. So there are some significant benefits when used. Properly. You know, properly. Yeah. And so these are some of the methods that I use in the diet and for those reasons and with the research I've provided in my personal experience. And I mentioned that the, that titrating that fructose throughout the day was one of the things that I watched bring my AST, ALT down, my liver enzymes. Oh, wow. And when my liver enzymes were elevated, I would lose my appetite. How would I discover this? Well, every time I took D-ball before a powerlifting competition. So this is, this is wisdom. This is practical experience talking to you without any uh, regrets. How did I manage that situation? I managed it with proper nutrition. So I had, even, I had to compensate for uh, the things that I was doing for my, to myself. And I talked about this in my video on if you want to be healthy, don't compete. 
because in extreme sport, I'm so yeah. glad anything said that. anything is many times right. Anything show. extreme yeah. is not anything extreme. I'm talking about uh, nine year old kids in badminton blowing out anterior cruciate ligaments. So there is no sport if you're going to compete competitively at a high level that doesn't have some compromise. And so my goal is is to try and manage that as best I can with mm. better sleep, better nutrition, better hydration, all of those things. Mm. I'm not saying that that competing in any sport is going to be healthy or optimal, even. Uh, you know, long distance runners long considered the, the bastion of shit. Of that's health. probably the worst. That's yeah. one of the worst. Yes. They end up with the oxidative damage to their heart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And all the joint issues, dude, for pounding for so many 100%. hours. percent. And yeah. so you have to, you know, in my joint issues, and I talked about that in my rant on how I fixed my knees because I was in there training so heavy so often that I had to get more movement. And I started using the banded presses and getting the 20 rep sets, mm -hmm. uh, set after set to try and help with chronic tendinitis. And so I'm big on, on, uh, you know, restorative movement, even though I'm mm -hmm. working with power lifters who historically, you know, don't run if you can walk, don't stand if you can sit, and don't stay awake if you can sleep. That's the mentality, and then mm -hmm. eat as many calories as you can. And then you end up in one of those situations with, you know, high insulin resistance and fatty liver, mm -hmm. uh, and, and you just eventually, you kind of top out at what your potential is, is because your body isn't, the nutrient partitioning isn't, isn't right, and you're not building muscle tissue. And so even with those guys, uh, you know, I have to be really careful that, that they're doing some movement that doesn't necessarily uh, isn't counterproductive to strength. And so, uh, you know, I might do some prowlers, some some concentric movement, whether it be a recumbent bike under a little bit of tension, 30 second sprint, 30 second rest. You're eliminating the negative to minimize the muscle damage. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But I'm pushing all the blood in there that's necessary mm -hmm. and activating the lymphatic system, which is, is something that you have to move to get all the, the uh, you know, the, the trash out of the system. Uh, so, and I do that like three times a day for 10 minutes. This isn't a 40 minute session because so the, great. the so frequency is optimal. Absolutely. That's why the three 10 minute walks a day. That's why you, you know, I have the fructose three or four times a day. It's, a, it's almost like a, a doctor would, would dose medication to you. It has a half-life. You know, fructose has a half-life. Your digestion isn't all day. I can't eat all my fiber for breakfast and expect it to mm. do me much good at dinner. And so I throw four carrots into a meal and people are like, four carrots, what's that going to do for you? Well, four carrots four times a day is my carrot a day, but it, it, it optimizes the digestion. Uh, and Well, especially you know. when you're eating a, a large amount of food and you're a large athlete. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. I mean, you're eating 6,000 calories a day. It's hard to do that with two, two or yeah. three meals. It really is. Yeah. It is. And meal frequency is important too. I mean, it's a whole nother avenue with the intermittent fasting thing that's coming on. If I've got an athlete that's lifting weights and breaking down muscle tissue, I don't want them going 16 hours without food. There's no mechanism in the body to store protein. And no, they're not going to lose 10 pounds of muscle, but it's not optimal for the body to need repair, to reach for the amino acids, and they're not there. And it has to wait. Now, have you ever utilized, because I've seen this uh, both with myself and with people that I've worked with, because of the indirect health benefits of fasting occasionally, I've noticed people respond better when they do throw in the food and they throw in the more frequency. I wouldn't in incorporate it during a heavy training session, yeah. but more of an off-season like- You hit the nail on the head. You said occasionally. Mm. And this isn't yeah. something yeah. I every single Like it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. what we all yeah. <laughs> And it also depends on the athlete. Do they, are they experiencing uh, insulin resistance? I run a blood test. I look at the HA1C. I look at their fasting blood sugars and I say, oh, we got a problem here. We need to address it. That's a good time to throw in intermittent fasting 
while you reduce the massive loads and maybe have them do a little sure. less volume and frequency sure. to get uh, to and, and and do more of the the pumping exercises that I mentioned, getting those legs moving more often, mm -hmm. uh, so I can use the mTOR pathways. I can start to get their insulin resistance down. That's the first thing we did with with Thor was took him down from 425 pounds to 395. Uh, when I first started working with him, I said, we're going to have to take 30 pounds off of you. And he was like, what? <laughs> take 30 pounds off of me? I need to be 440. And I said, well, right. I can't get you to 440 lean and strong and hard until I get you down to 395 and get your insulin sensitivity right. Very good point. And then get you back up there using the kinds of foods that won't repeat the same problem. Pizza, pasta, pancakes, you know, that kind of stuff. So we took all of that out. And then when he went back up, I think some of you may have seen, he, he squatted like 960 something yeah, with ridiculous. a six pack. Yeah. Takes his shirt off and he's just yoked. That's fucked up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> At some point when you compete, and like I said, if, if you want to be healthy, don't compete. At some point, he's going to have to add that extra weight to endure uh, the load from his training, as did Shaw. And at some point, your bikini girl that's getting ready for a show the last 30 days is going to have to uh, suck it up, mm -hmm. you know, but you certainly don't want to strip muscle off of her, but she's going to have to be at a deficit. She's going to be hungry. She's going to lose, you know, a little more weight than, than what would be healthy necessarily right, right. To, to show on stage. But when you do it correctly and you keep sodium in and you keep calcium in and you keep uh, fructose in, uh, and you get adequate potassium and, uh, you know, all of those things are, are and you get iron and B12 mm. and she keeps her red meat in the diet, then there's no rebound or very little. She can easily, uh, you know, refeed, uh, reverse diet after that and not have the edema and, and the, the massive fat gain because of the, um, suppressed, the metabolic adaptation and the lowered, uh, metabolism. I love what you're saying, Stan, because for a long time in that, in that space, in that world, it was. Uh, you know, uh, you have you have to make your health go bad in order for you to do now, which is different than your message, which is saying competing itself not healthy. However, if we approach it as healthy as possible, you'll do better. You'll perform better. You'll minimize better. your damage, yeah. right? And that's a very different message from what in the past was kind of kamikaze, like throw everything at it, go for it, and and poor health is supposed to happen. So let's just go for it. Yeah. Very very different. How rare is someone like you in your space? You take a very meticulous, uh, smart approach and to holistic. everything. holistic. Holistic approach to everything. Um, and, uh, you know, you're, you're again, you make health one of the priorities because you know it improves, uh, you know, performance and appearance. How rare are you in your space? I don't know. There are, I mean, when I came in, we talked about the fact that we're fortunate that there is are so many really bright, really experienced people now uh, that, that athletes have access to. So I think very quickly people are starting to see uh, that there's some good information out there and it's starting to, to filter point. to the top. Yeah. So I think it's more and more common. I think that, uh, uh, you know, the Lane Nortons of the world and certainly the um, uh, Greg Knuckles of the world that are out there, they put out some really good information and we might not all disagree on everything. Uh, you know, Lane's got the... Uh, uh, Sugar. Yeah, sugar. And I, I, so we, we jab him all the time about that. We're good yeah. friends with him. So. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't think he's driving that. He's just saying, look, that it, that's not going to kill you. Uh, the calories is, is the first most important thing. And then the quality of the food and then the meal timing and then sure. all right. of that. So at least he puts it into a hierarchy. But uh, to me, again, it's a symphony. And if, mm -hmm. if I'm doing an 80-20 or if and if it fits your macros and one of the instruments isn't in tune, meaning as part of your 80-20, as part of your 20%, or if it fits your macros kind of deal, you're taking in something that's causing inflammation, vegetable mm -hmm. oils, mm -hmm. sugar, alcohol, maybe bread, right. yeah. Pop-Tarts. It depends on how you respond to them. It's been my experience that the vast majority of athletes I deal with do have digestion problems. Mm -hmm. yep. 
And if I can remedy those first, and so I'm a little more particular. I don't let people have um, the 80-20 and I don't let them do if it fits your macros. I, I specify in my diet, I list exactly the foods I want them to eat. I'm very specific. That's because you're fucking old and you've done a lot. You've coached a lot of fucking people, bro. <laughs> yeah. That's why. Yeah. But that's you know, why. That's where we come from all the time. We try. Yeah. We argue with a lot of these people. It's just like, yeah, wait till you've coached thousands of people and exactly. you see what the majority. And it's like, yes, your message is okay. That you're right. There is a hierarchy, and these certain things are not necessarily bad or evil foods. It's just most people have got issues. Settings. And my, yeah. my program is intended to be simple, sensible. And the last part is the most important part, sustainable. And here's where there's a bit of a disagreement with what I propose, which is I list exactly the foods you need to eat. And what people are concerned about in terms of sustainability, having flexibility. If you're a dieter and uh, you're forced, forced, but if I'm you know, recommending that you eat these foods and then you end up at a restaurant somewhere or if uh, your appetite uh, is different one day and you wanna make a change up, you know, I offer up substitutions, but I'm cautious about what substitutions. You know, that's not a pizza and it's not a cheeseburger. Right. Uh, you know, it's a, another low FODMAP food or it's a variant of the red meat uh, type or style or uh, another ruminant animal that would provide you again, uh, you know, the better fatty acid profile. So I do provide some variation in there, but I found a couple of things, particularly with the everyday person they kind of want to be told what to do sure, because yeah. they've been left to flounder of and been given their own choices yeah. that they're not very good at, at calorie control. We know that uh, probably as much as 50% and even clinicians are off by as much as 15 or 20% in terms of calorie. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot uh, depend on self-reporting at all. No. Someone self-report, Oh, I don't eat that much. It's always off. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, I hate to, get in front of myself, but I'm developing an app currently. I've been saying this for six months, but these things take forever, yeah. uh, which is still probably 90 days away. And in my app, uh, my uh, clients will be able to just take a picture of their meal and it'll be time and date stamps. So me as a coach, I can go back to any day of the week and I can just scroll down and see everything they ate and when they mm -hmm. ate it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm able to quickly at a glance, look at that and see the, the types of foods and the quantity and then make an assessment, uh, you know, as to, to what changes they need to make based on, you know, how they're responding right. for the week. So no, I think if someone wants to get to a point where they're making better choices for themselves as an individual, they have to start with a structure. You have to kind of, that's how you learn what's good and what isn't good and what works for you and what doesn't work for you, then you can get to the point where I think you could do the if it fits your macros after. But I think if you jump into that and just focus on proteins, fats, and carbs, you're missing a lot. You're missing a it, lot. And it doesn't address your immune system. That's right. It doesn't address your gut health. Those are two huge things. And right. it doesn't address micronutrients. How many people are getting 4,700 milligrams of potassium a day? Next to none. I actually, you have to be deliberate about that. And I, and I send my athletes exactly what they need to eat in order to get that in a day. Uh, for me, it's one baked potato a day around a thousand milligrams, 10 ounces of spinach a day, another 1500 milligrams. And I do that by mixing uh, about five ounces or two cups of spinach with four ounces of orange juice and maybe a little bit of ice water. And I blend it in a, in a bullet blender or a, a ninja, mm. and it's very easy to drink with a meal, but now you're getting 2,000 milligrams of potassium in that meal because you've got your four ounces of orange juice and your two cups of spinach. Mm. Uh, so now I just mentioned the orange juice or an orange. That's another 500 milligrams a day of potassium. I add to that at least half a cup of uh, yogurt a day. I might get another three or 400 milligrams of potassium from a half cup or a cup of yogurt. And then throw on top of that a, uh, uh, maybe a serving of salmon, another 700 to 900 uh, milligrams of potassium. I just 
counted there and I'm probably not quite at 4,700. Everything I just said, you have to eat every day right. to get there. And I'm not a fan of the supplements, the potassium supplements. They're usually only 100 milligrams to begin with. But now what do you take them with? And are they well digested and absorbed? A lot of people take supplements. They don't necessarily take them with a meal. Mm-hmm. And if your hydrochloric acid isn't sufficient, you're not going to absorb minerals. Nutrients don't ever appear in nature by themselves. No. And your, so your body factors. You're absolutely right. right. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, like vitamin D is a great one. Uh, vitamin D without fat, you know, you don't consume a little bit of fat with it, even in supplement form, not going to get absorbed as well, right. you know? Right. And that's because mm-hmm. in nature, how do you find vitamin D? Usually in fatty yeah. fish or fatty foods, or of course from the sun. And you just said the protein is what stimulates the pepsin release, which increases hydrochloric acid, decreases pH, and makes the acidic environment of the stomach such that it can absorb those those vitamins and minerals. Right, so right, right. All of that comes together. I always make sure that that people, if they're going to take a supplement, uh, that they take it in a high acid environment, HCl, pepsin with a meal, etc. Mm. Yeah, I mean, having low sodium, low potassium, or lacking vitamin D, which is, those are the three most common ones, I would say. I don't know if you would agree with or me. Or even fiber. Calcium, I see low fiber. fiber a lot of times. But having like, having those three nutrients in particular be off, they, they present themselves as hormone problems, immune problems, emotional and mental problems. So people are getting treated for yes. anxiety or paranoia or, oh yes. my God, I have yeah. hormone imbalances. When in reality, your vitamin D is, is too low, for example, yeah. you know, and or they are pres- low acid in your stomach and none of it's getting absorbed and it, you're on antidepressants all of a sudden. Exactly. Because it's so, and I see this as a huge problem. When I would have clients get, come back with blood tests, almost all of them would come back with low vitamin D and they're like, well, I go out in the sun sometimes. And you know, it's, it's a, it's a big problem. We're not in the sun that much. Even if you are, even if you work in the sun, you're still not in the sun that much. So I take plenty of abuse from the medical community because I think I'm giving medical advice and I'm not. I'm giving nutrition advice. I'm giving lifestyle advice. If you've got low thyroid and low testosterone, uh, I'm going to ask you to increase your your sleep first and foremost. 24-year-old firemen are, have the lowest testosterone blood tests that I see when, when yeah. they send me there because of their lack of sleep. Uh, some sun exposure, some salt, some fructose for the liver, some uh, iodine for the thyroid. When you start optimizing all of these things, that's why I talk about the vertical diet in terms of hormone optimization. Uh, it's not about supplementing hormones. Uh, some people may need to do that. But if you're a trainer, and I say this in my uh, seminars to coaches that I, I work with, um, I said, if you're a trainer and someone comes into you and they want to gain muscle and they're hypogonadal, if you take their money, you're ripping them off. You're going to run them through all of these weight training workouts and, uh, and you're just wasting their time. They're not going to gain muscle if they're hypogonadal. You have to try and address that problem first. And that usually happens with sleep, fatty liver, uh, you know, sun exposure, vitamin D. It's a whole host of other things that, that come as a priority over lifting weights. What are the tests that you ask, that you run for people like that to look at? Well, you know, I like to, I like to get them to get a blood test. I ask most of uh, all of my athletes to, to get a blood test. Okay. And, and, they, and there's a whole spectrum, you know, five pages, as you know, the HA1C and the D3, uh, vitamin D25 hydroxy, of course, uh, the testosterone, the estrogen. Um, their cholesterol, uh, prolactin, it's just the list goes on and on okay. of, and it's a really comprehensive. And if we can identify deficiencies, then we can remedy those or at least implement some sort of, at least help them understand that this is going to be your challenge, particularly with women who are hypothyroid. They're mm-hmm. not going to lose fat. How, how common is it for you not to see a deficiency? Pretty rare. Yeah. Pretty rare, particularly with, with, uh, Usually when a, when a client comes to you, I'm not even going to say athlete, a client comes to you, they're already feeling like shit. 
that, that's kind of compelled them to come. Sure, there. there's a little bit of self self selection there. It really is. So mm-hmm. I'm getting the ones that already have problems generally and just haven't mm-hmm. seen them yet or don't know how to fix them. And in, in with athletes. There's generally some sort of surplus or deficiency because they've put themselves in that position with all the hard work they've done without proper hmm. restoration. How, uh, how, when you're training some of these athletes and some of these uh, performance uh, performance enhanced uh, athletes with you know like uh, uh, like anabolic steroids, for example, do they start to see that they need that they can use less of these substances when their diet you know when they follow 100%. what you do? Okay, and you know on that same note, we talked about how. Um, a lot of women will restrict calories and they'll stop eating red meat and they'll stop uh, and they'll, they'll sleep four hours a night and do cardio twice a day. And uh, a lot of these women will get into shape and they might win shows and then pay later because they're compensating for all those deficiencies with drugs, the mm-hmm. vast majority mm-hmm. of them. And I'm like, this is a, this is a dead end game. Uh, the lack of iron and the lack of B12 and the lack of red meat and the lack of sleep you're taking thyroid and anivar and clombuterol and, uh, you know, so it's very short term fix masking a lot of they're things. masking a lot of the deficiencies. I would argue right now that there's, there's more of a problem in men's physique and women's bikini than there is even in pro bodybuilding. I think a lot of outsiders look in, look at bodybuilders and think, Oh my God, they must be doing so much drugs to look like that. But I see more abuse in the the lower levels in the men's physique and the women's bikini of just like you said, just the lack of knowledge, time under iron experience has, has drawn them to, you know, disregard some of the staple things like diet, nutrition, sleep that they should be doing. And they're just reaching for the next drug or pill. Yeah. And I'm not going to be a hypocrite because I use performance nets and drugs throughout my career. But I understood what they did to me because I was getting blood tests every single month and I could see how I could manipulate those things. I wouldn't take a lot of anti-estrogens because uh, my diet didn't uh, was created in such a way that I wouldn't have high estrogen. I wasn't eating any vegetable oils, which increases inflammation and estrogen. Mm-hmm. I was staying away from a lot of foods that would cause me the indigestion. Even something like carrots is a naringenin and, and helps decrease estrogen. So when you're really careful and, and bread, uh, you know, those kinds of things, goitrogens from maybe soy, mm-hmm. et cetera. So I'm real careful about that. But the big thing is the compensation. I understand behind the scenes that you might look a certain way, but that doesn't necessarily mean you feel very good. And, and you're going to have huge fluctuations in energy level, body composition, water retention, all of those things, uh, and potentially, again, exposure to immune system problems. And uh, I've seen so many uh, women in particular, they tend to crash harder because they restrict more. Men, men get to eat more food. Mm-hmm. And so they, they're able to and they tend to cheat a little more. They'll have the pizza or the burrito uh, and, and end up getting more micronutrients as a result, just to. Uh, and probably eat more salt and, uh, sure. you know, and eat more red meat. Women are so restrictive uh, and then compensating for that with uh, the performance enhancing drugs that they end up with these huge mm-hmm. micronutrient deficiencies. And that's when the big rebound occurs. So I've said that, and, and the original question was, can you use less? And the answer is 100%. Yes. When you're eating right, you need, you need less. And the reason that, that that's important is because the more you use, the more side effects mm-hmm. that you incur. And particularly pre-contest for bodybuilding, you don't need very much. In powerlifting or hypertrophy in the off-season, maybe a little extra testosterone because you're at a calorie surplus can, can provide you a benefit. When you're at a calorie deficit, all you need is a little something to prevent muscle tissue loss. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, depending on who you are, maybe to increase metabolism, to burn a little more fat. Uh, so 
you can use a lot less. And to be specific, and Flex was the first person, I've worked with about every guru in the business over the years, either directly or indirectly. Chris Aceto, Chad Nichols, uh, uh, Hawney even helped me out one year. Uh, Dave Palumbo, I hired mm-hmm. him one year to help me. Uh, Charles Glass, um, uh, Oscar uh, Kai's mm-hmm. former trainer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've worked with just about everybody in the business. And so I know what all the protocols are. They sent me the entire diet, the entire protocol. I know what all those are. And I can tell you without being specific, that Flex, when I went to work with him, put me on about half or less. It was 100 milligrams of test probe every other day, 100 milligrams of Mastron every other day, 37.5 milligrams of Tren every other day. God, that's not much at all. Wait a minute, that's it? For, that's a guy, it? for a guy your size? This is when I turned pro. This wow. was the best I ever was. That's insane because the 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 mental, or at least the the belief is that you know these guys are taking gram, maybe some of them are taking grams and grams of of anabolics every week. And and I would say that if they intended to do that, that would be an off season because if you're not at a calorie surplus, hypertrophy is a very difficult thing. Sure. Right? So all you're trying to do is hold on to muscle tissue and burn fat, and that can be done very easily at very low doses. You didn't let me finish. Oh. <laughs> There's like, more. They're like, come on, Stan. Yeah, four, that's wait, not wait, all wait. you took. 4,000 milligrams liar. of D-ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here comes the rest of the stack. 50 milligrams of Winstraw a day. <laughs> Two IUs of GH five days a week. And that was the, what the prep was for. I tried clenbuterol, but it made my heart race so fast that when I was in doing the 20 rep sets, I couldn't oh, keep uh, up with the breathing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just gassing out. And so I, I jumped off of that real quick. I didn't need any how I'm pretty lean. So somebody else may choose to add a, a thermogenic, uh, which I would have them cycle two weeks at a time, mm-hmm. a caffeine, a computer or whatever, if they needed it. But I'm just saying that that, that turned me pro at 254 pounds on stage in, uh, I mean, just the best condition I'd ever been in my life. Well, what do you what do you have to take right now to manage yourself where you're at right now? I do HRT. I like to take 100 milligrams of test probe three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Wow. It's still not and very much at all. The reason the smaller, the short ester and the more frequent injections is because it keeps my estrogen down. I found that the longer esters uh, and the larger doses less frequently um, can elevate the estrogen a little higher. And that's one of the things I want to manage uh, now. And, and I stay, depending on when I get tested, somewhere between seven and 1,200. So you're still within range. Yeah. I mean, you're within hor- yeah, like normal range. I rarely get up to 1,500 if, if I test like the day mm-hmm. after a shot or something mm-hmm. like that. But I don't need to now. What I found is it, it, it takes half as much to maintain, twice as much to gain. And that's both in terms of the, the dosage and the amount of work required. Oh, that's required. a great quote. You don't need as much to maintain anymore. To no, just, yeah, yeah. no, very little. And I oh. always, I almost apologize to people when I tell them what little I have to do now to stay 240 pounds mm-hmm. pretty lean. And, and but to get there, it was much harder. To get there. And if yeah. like somebody says, well, you could still compete. And I'm like, no, it would take me a year and a half, uh, at least a year to put on 12 pounds of, of solid muscle and get leaner and mm. try and get back to, you know, the mid 240s or so mm. uh, hard. Has the, has the, the trends with uh, performance enhancing drug usage changed from the early 90s to today? Are, are people just going using more? Are they getting smarter with it there now? There were some folks that used a lot more for a while there. We know in the late 90s, we had the, the big guts and the, the insulin was thrown oh, in there. Oh, it got crazy, didn't and, uh, Yeah. And you know, just as a side note, when I was at the seminar with, with John, Milo Sarkev was there. And you know, Milos is famous yeah. for his insulin protocols. And I think a lot of people abused that and was using R and too much of it and with every meal. Um, but Milos has done something that, that I think has uh, is pretty important and, and one of the things I promote today, and um, John Meadows talks about it as well, and that's your intra-workout hydration. Uh, and that's, again, your, your 
dextrin, your glucose fructose blend or, or uh, uh, dextrose maltodextrin blend or whatever with sodium. And they like to throw in EAAs. Uh, when you are working out and all that blood is pumping and forcing into the muscles, if you can give it this little IV of glucose and sodium and maybe essential amino acids uh, all throughout the workout, just sipping on it from 15 minutes before you arrive all the way through the entire workout, you can have a dramatically improved workout. You can have less delayed onset muscle soreness as a result. Uh, I think that, that that's one of the biggest things that, that people could do now in hypertrophy sessions, particularly if you're going to train two-a-days. All my MMA athletes, CrossFitters, yeah, for sure. strongmen, that, yeah. I have a post-workout drink. I have them drink, but I think now in my version 3.0 for the vertical diet, I'm going to be having them sip it all throughout the workout because from personal experience and all the stuff and visiting with Milos and talking to, to John, I usually drink, I'd have a little something before and then after. Mm -hmm. uh, and now I'm having them hydrate all throughout the workout mm -hmm. while they're doing the hypertrophy training. And that, again, we talked about the fact that without the need for the insulin key, your muscles will soak up that glycogen uh, while you're training and, uh, and utilize that. And you, you don't get as sore and you recover faster. And I know everybody focuses on soreness, thinking that that's the primary driver of recovery is pain. And I guess, you know, now we've found out that, you know, frequency and volume is much more important. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you're not sore the next day, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That might mean that your sleep is good, your hydration's good, your, your you know, glycogen intake was good, and your muscles were given everything that they needed. Right. And, and they're, they're now, healing fast. You're, you're touching on something that we actually typically don't advocate for just because... I think it's rare that we have somebody that is at that level where I would consider that a, a bigger rock. Now, yeah, what, we, we have to talk to people about sleeping, eating properly, you know, training. And then know, they walk out of here and all they hear is, oh, I get to drink a Gatorade yeah, exactly. <laughs> after my workout. Yeah. Right. And that's I, you have to jump it. on. There's no yeah. question. And again, I talk about athletes training two a days. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can get adequate carbohydrate restoration subject, yeah. following a one a day training session by eating your meal after training. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you don't need all that glucose right away, but for really hard training, yeah. competing athlete, yeah. two hypertrophy and sessions. And somebody who's got all the big rocks in life. All the big rocks. Right. That's such a huge thing, what you just said right there. The the big things, you know, I talk about eat, sleep and train and then and then the 99%. And then the 1% is the supplements or the, uh, what I call the, the, uh, what do I call them? The rehab therapies. People want to go jump in a, yep. um, you know, get a massage or jump in a, a cryotherapy, you know, or stuff like that and think that that's a significant, you know, piece of the puzzle right. while they're missing sleep or they're yeah. uh, or not squatting or doing a big uh, movement. That right, <laughs> yeah, right, right. They focus on the stuff. And I said in my, my rant once that things that are done to you or for you are regularly as, rarely as effective as things you do for yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I'm trying to get them, like you said, to focus on the big rock. And that's why I had to say that because I know some, they would jump all over me later on for not saying something to you because we all we do, we kind of tease, you know, there's this, you you know, these guys now. And I, I feel like since men's physique, I feel like I see it more of, you know, walking around with their weight belts on. They got their interest shakes going on and then they're going doing all these like machine exercises for an hour. And One arm cable si push down. Side, sideways side chest press. press. Yeah. yeah, with the selfie thing. They're, they're filming yes. themselves doing a Yes. And so down. I'm like, you know, that yeah. you could probably save yourself a hundred bucks a month and stop drinking that and maybe just add some real exercises and movements in there. Yeah. Or and, good, I, you know, by the same token, I've just said, oh, frequency and volume is the most important. I did a video where I, I uh, a rant where I talked about the reason why Westside barbell athletes are so strong. 
And I said in there that they're savages. They train like savages, mm. amongst savages, with great coach, you know, coaches. Uh, and they take their body somewhere it hasn't been before. At some point, the frequency and volume has to be done in such a way that there's a progression. Otherwise, right. you stop adapting. Or you're going to have to considerably change the, the, the loading mechanism somewhere along the line. Mm -hmm. Uh, like we said, you know, copy and pasting a diet. You're going to have to make adjustments to it over time. And same mm -hmm. thing with the training. The one-arm cable pushdowns, regardless of how many T's you cross and I's you dot, and, <laughs> uh, you know, whether or not it's done within 15 minutes of taking in this pill or that powder or this supplement, that's probably not going to get you to the, the really top. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Mm -hmm. That's a very good point to make because I, I, people get – I used to get confused in that as a kid, interested in trying to build my body, and I was more – because that's what you're advertised, right? So I thought, okay, taking supplements is the most important thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, being sore is the most important thing. Right. You know, it, 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 I didn't realize that was, you know, take a protein shake was the most important thing. I, I had no idea that it was eat more real food, train consistently, focus on these big lifts because you're a young kid and you need to build all this muscle, get good sleep. Like, I didn't know that. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to buy the you know, branched-chain amino acids and take that five times a day because that's <laughs> yeah, going to yeah. spike muscle protein synthesis. <clears throat> that's why I say shakes are for fakes, eat steaks. And <laughs> the, <laughs> the supplement industry gets so pissed at me about all that. And I'm like, look, there's there may be a time and place for that stuff, but yeah. the big rocks, like right. you said. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Which most people are missing. I want to yeah. take you uh, in a little bit of a different direction. We, yeah. You are a uh, successful entrepreneur. Um, you've got the, we've got the water ball going. We've got the vertical diet. I hear you talking about coaching. What you're doing a ton of fucking things. Mm. Tell me about that. And, yeah. and you also strike me as a very growth minded person. So I would love to hear, you know, through all these ventures, what are you learning about yourself and what are you learning about business? You know, I'm learning that I love this business. I, again, I was never able to monetize this business throughout my career. I had to keep mm -hmm. my day job and bodybuilding was have, I had to set competing on the, the shelf for 10 years while I uh, built my businesses. I didn't start a company until I was 35 years old. Uh, and, but I built four very successful businesses over the last 10 years. Uh, but all of them, one of them was telecommunications. One was an engineering uh, firm that, that I ran. And one of them was real estate, uh, bought, built and sold multifamily, single family and, and commercial properties. Uh, and one of them uh, currently that I'm still working with is um, uh, medical and recreational marijuana clinics up in, in Washington with a partner of mine. Well, we like you more now. Yeah. <laughs> I would have offered a joint, dude. I I've, can't believe it. You That's... know, and the craziest things, I've never smoked one. Get but, out of here. Uh, but when, when, an oper when I was a kid, I was 12 years old. Business, I worked at, huh? This is crazy, though. When I was 12 years old, I worked at 7-Eleven. Mm -hmm. And I recognized at that time, beer and cigarettes, the two biggest sellers, I was always stocking the shelves, beer and cigarettes, the drugs sold, and coffee. Mm -hmm. And so when marijuana came along, much later in life, when I had the opportunity to invest, I was like, oh yeah, drugs <laughs> is good business. <laughs> <laughs> and so I jumped in, you know, and it's been a good business for us. But none of those things are really my passion. Mm -hmm. Never were. I was, I was making a living. I, was, I chased dollars and money. Mm -hmm. My passion is the health and fitness industry. The cooler is a neat, you know, adjunct. It was a way for me to kind of keep my foot in the door with this business and sell to uh, people in the industry. But the nutrition program, my coaching other people, I'm, I've accepted the fact that I'm, you know, I'm 50 now. It took me a while to accept that. <laughs> and I can't compete. I can't do the things I used to do, but I can help others from the lessons that I learned, you know, from my experience and my advice. And so I, I've really enjoy that. Uh, I get really involved in it. I, like my kids, you know, Hawthorne Shaw, and I talk to them all the time. Uh, and all the athletes that I work with, you know, I work with Tyler Beatty, the San Francisco Giants uh, pitcher, 
Um, I work with uh, you know, Olympic uh, silver medalist and shot put and discus. Uh, I, I work with athletes from you know, all different sports and a lot of uh, ordinary folks, moms, uh, soccer moms and, and, uh, and uh, dad bods. Uh, and we've done a lot of great things on my site. I've shown that how many people we've, uh, or testimonials, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, that I've gotten from all over the world. I've had over 50,000 downloads now on my uh, diet all over the world. Wow. And I get testimonials every single day. I can't even post them all because people complain that my site, I'm just pimping out my site for selling my diet. But I'm excited I get these. And people who are, uh, you know, decreasing their blood pressure and improving their digestive health and um, uh, improving their their blood sugars, you know, diabetics, type one and type two, able to take less medication or come off of medication as a result. Uh, people who have been on antacids for years and uh, mm-hmm. all the all the different uh, success stories, losing weight. Um, so I'm passionate about that. That drives me. And so here's what I've done. Obviously, I released the vertical diet about five months ago uh, on the internet uh, on as a product that you can purchase. The Vertical Diet and Peak Performance has everything that you need. Everything I gave Hofthor, everything I gave Shaw, Larry Wheels, Dan Green, all of these great athletes, I provide to uh, you know everyone now uh, for a fee. It's $100 for a download for this, everything I think I've learned over the last 30 years. And it's really easy to follow. Like I said, I list all the foods, exactly what to eat, sample macros, sample diet plans. And I include you know sleep protocol, hydration stuff, training programs for hypertrophy, the ones from Flex, and the strength program I got from Eddie Cohn and all the years I've trained with him. So it's all in there, and it's, it's easy to follow. But I'm just one guy selling one diet plan. And so now what I've started to do is I've created, uh, um, I, I recently uh, discussed doing a, a book deal with, uh, not just discussed it, but we're, we're moving forward on it, with Victory Belt, who did mm. um, uh, the Paleo Solution. Uh, they also did... Um, uh, who was this book? Uh, I'm trying. Oh, Supple Leopard. Oh, right. Um, right. So a really good group that we're working with. We're going to release the vertical uh, diet. Oh, Kelly Stard and Rob Wolf. Yes, yeah. and they're going to work with me, and we're we're coordinating that now, and we're putting everything together. It'll take us six months to get to market, but we've we've already started uh, down that road. But the big picture for me is the vertical. Uh, uh, the vertical meals. Obviously, I just started the meal prep company just two and a half, three months ago. We started doing vertical meals. I partnered with uh, a big company who who serves four million meals a year. They've been in business for twenty years, and uh, they have extraordinary um, uh, kitchen facilities. They've they've got millions of dollars invested in German engineered equipment. So we've got um, uh, we've got moisture control ovens. We've got these giant modified atmospheric pressure system for sealing all of the food and taking the oxygen out. We've got uh, flash freezing units that, that freeze it really fast. So when it arrives to you and you cook it, it act, in your microwave, it actually tastes fresh and delicious. Uh, we sourced all the, the, um, the grass-fed beef, the line-caught salmon. Um, I cook everything in, in uh, beef tallow that we render mm. and uh, bone broth that we boil. Uh, that they do right there on their site. So everything's, I know there's no vegetable oils in any of it. We cook everything with no vegetable oils. So the food tastes amazing. It's healthy. And so the vertical um, meals is something I just released. And uh, it's all 48 states. We've done over 50,000 meals in less than three months already. Wow. Yeah. The taste so is extraordinary. Of the, th- the three business, the cooler, the vertical diet, and the meals, uh, what has has the most challenges for you right now? Well, there's one more in that. Oh, shit. And and this is, you know, we've got the book. It's the vertical coaching. What I want to do is I have an app under development that I mentioned, and I've already started doing coaching seminars. And what my goal is, is to get an army of people that can implement the vertical diet with their clients. 
using the app. They can set themselves up on the app uh, as a coach and then have their clients set themselves up as a client and select their coach. And the coach can see all of their clients. Remember I said they could see all their daily uh, Mm -hmm. meals and they would have their checklist and uh, we could track their sleep and look at their heart rate. And uh, so coaches can see their clients. And I, of course, as an admin can see every coach and every client and look at the success rates and see the clients that are the most, the coaches that are most successful in helping clients lose weight. Uh, And basically behind the scenes between myself and I partnered with a, uh, Damon McClure, who's a, a PhD candidate, registered dietitian, master's in uh, exercise phys. He was former director of the um, uh, nutrition department at UNLV. Uh, we're co-authoring the book together, and he's gone through this with a fine-tooth comb to make sure that the academia uh, is, uh, you know, appreciates the quality of the work that we're doing. Uh, but we're now, as a team, behind all of these coaches and all of their athletes, uh, or all of their clients, not just athletes. Uh, and that's my big push now is to get the program utilized by as many coaches and replicate myself, uh, not just in the U.S., but in other countries. We already had visitors from Canada and the U.K. that uh, become coaches. Uh, and that, to me, is the big picture. That's the, the giant. Uh, and, of course, they can sell the meals uh, mm-hmm. and get commissions on meals that they sell to their clients. What I found in the research is, is the meta-analysis that's been done on success rate for clients when you study uh, the most likely outcomes, we talked about sustainability, uh, simple, sensible, sustainable, a healthy diet that can be maintained long-term. Um, what we found is, is that clinicians are the worst in terms of success rates when you go to a, a registered dietitian or doctor on a weekly basis and check up. Uh, after that is apps. That's the second worst. If you have an app and you're tracking your progress mm-hmm. on your app, those don't seem to have very good long-term success rates. Um, beyond that, is uh, one of the better results is meals. When you get meals, pre-prepared meals, as we know, we always want our people to meal prep. Uh, When my wife meal preps and I see plastic containers in the fridge, I know that her progress is going to improve because Mm -hmm. she's not left to, uh, you know, her own druthers. And and when we can get people to meal prep, whether it's buying my prepared meals or making their own, that seems to be one of the most, uh, uh, the best predictors of success long-term. And that's why Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig does better than registered dietitians and clinicians because you just eat what they tell you to eat. And we know that calories reign supreme. Uh, There's a calorie equation first and foremost. Uh, Now, beyond that is when you start coupling things together. When you have uh, a meal prep and a weekly check-in with a coach and an app, that is the most successful program long-term for people. And so that's what we're trying to create with this program for, uh, for our athletes is success rates, sustainability long-term. So people actually realize success. So from a, from a standpoint of like finances for you, which one is the most financially successful currently right now at this moment? And which one is proposing the most challenges? Uh, you know, the apps proposing the most challenges is the most expensive and it just keeps growing. And I knew that yep. historically yeah. when I created uh, computer programs to run, or had programmers create, uh, you know, business, uh, programs to run my business, uh, they they always they become they're like you're married to them, mm-hmm. and they stay with they're on staff forever, and I'm, I know that's going to be the case here. My programmers when they finish the app are going to con- we're going to constantly fill okay. with this thing, and so th- the hardest part is obviously the computer stuff. Uh, th- obviously the app because it's intellectual property. There's no cost of goods or not the app, but the the vertical diet itself mm-hmm. is something that I've created you know already. 
Um, anytime you're selling eBooks or information or videos or stuff like that, your cost of goods is, is next to nil. Uh, that's been very, very successful between, uh, as long as we're talking about business, we just throw it out there between the vertical diet, which I just launched five months ago and the vertical meals was I just launched three months ago. We've grossed over a million dollars already. Wow. Yeah. wow. So Good those have been very successful. And I think the meal prep long-term because it's a perpetuity, because it's a recurring buy mm -hmm. like the cooler, if you buy a cooler, you might want another one in two or three years, maybe. It's yeah. a one-time thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a widget. It's a yeah. T-shirt. It's a, you know, whatever. Uh, but when you're buying things, it's like when I was in the rental business, I really liked the rental business because I was getting rent every single month. Mm -hmm. I call it making money while you sleep. Right. And if I can get recurring revenue from people, that's another thing with the app. Eventually, I'd like to sign people up with, with I mentioned that one of the most successful things was meals. And secondarily, it was weekly check-ins. Well, in order to do a weekly check-in, you want to become a member. And you want to pay whatever, you know, fee, like $30 a month sure. so that every week you can check in with a, a coach and have, you know, know, that you have a team behind you looking after your progress. So membership's obviously another uh, very effective way to make money uh, that you don't have to touch every client. Touching every client, uh, trading time for money, as we know, uh, there's a limit. You can get, what, 50, 75, maybe if you're a hot shot, $100 an hour for doing personal training a client. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes maybe you can bring two clients in at once. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but when you're doing things that have recurring revenue and creating a, a, a customer base uh, and selling information with no cost of goods, uh, that's obviously the most profitable. Now, I spend at least four hours a day answering uh, emails and DMs from clients and, and just you know, people who have purchased the diet who I don't really necessarily have an ongoing relationship with, but I've, I feel committed to them to help them what do implement you th it. What do you think about that? Because you're a guy who's been doing business for a long time. And so yeah. you've seen the evolution in this transition into the social media world that we live in right now. Yeah. What do you think about that? How are you dealing with that right now? Well, I think it's great because I don't have to pay all the marketing fees that used to be associated with getting your name out there. I don't mm -hmm. have to buy magazine advertising or radio or what have you. And uh, even like the program that you folks are doing. One of the reasons that I was, uh, have, have realized so much success is because I've been able to, to uh, sit down with folks like you or Mark Bell or, uh, you know, some others in the industry and talk to thousands of people at once. Even my rants, you know, 20, 30, 50,000 people will watch a rant. Uh, if I go to a, an expo and stand at a booth, I might talk to a few hundred. Right. And so the social media, YouTube, Instagram, et cetera. And this is one of the things I promote with my coaches is building their social media base uh, by providing information. How are you finding your coaches? Um, <clears throat> uh, I, you know, social media, I, mm -hmm. I advertise my seminar. I tell mm -hmm. them that this is where I'm going to be and here's what I'm going to provide you. I'm my, I'm not trying to train the next generation of scientists. Uh, they're out there already. I can refer to the work of the, the, the knowledgeable people that I just mentioned. Uh, I do in, in my, I have over a hundred references. It's my, my vertical diet is 50 pages. I have a hundred references to videos and articles and research studies. And I name uh, some of the resources that I got this information from, you know, the Dr. Sandra Godick and on sleep, Dr. Stasha Gominak. And uh, I, I mentioned um, Lane Norton in there, of course, a lot of his work. I've watched hundreds of hours of his videos over the years. Uh, uh, Greg Knuckles and his work over at Strength uh, Stronger by Science. So there's all of these people who I've learned these things from, I reference their work in there and tell them this is where I got the information from. The Brad Schoenfelds of the world, the Brett Contreras's of the world, the people who have, uh, you know, really put forth a lot of good science. And then as 
we discussed the, the, the wisdom that comes from people like Flex and Eddie Cohn and mm-hmm. Mark Bell and those guys, the bro science people that the academia may uh, you know, look down their noses at, but these guys have made huge contributions to my success and many others. So that's the, I think the bulk of what I try and do is, is give people information. When I went up to uh, Iceland, I did a seminar and they videotaped it and they put it out on the internet. And my wife was concerned. She's like, Stan, they just put your entire seminar on the internet, two and a half hours for free. And you went through the entire diet, step by step. Nobody's going to need to buy the diet. Mm. I sold five or 6,000 of them in the first three months. That's right. Because right. It's, people watched it's the formula. it. formula. Yeah, they wanted to know more about it. And I'm the same way. If I watch an hour video and there's a lot of information, I'm pissed because I yeah. have to watch it again with a notepad and a pen mm-hmm. to write everything down right. so that I actually can can retain it and, and implement it if it's, if it's you know, that kind of information. Well, this is how we, yeah. how we worked our way into the space as we saw, you know, when social media first came on and then the web and this ability to make money virtually, it became very popular to have these paid walls uh, that if, you know, I must just prove a little bit that you're smart, but if you want to know all my information, it's $9 a month or whatever. teaser, but you have to get more by paying this for the membership and all that. And that seems to be the formula. And so we came out with a total different mentality, which was we're going to give all of our information for free and and share everything that we know and our experiences. And as a byproduct, I think, people purchase a lot of the programs and things we sell almost as like a thank you. It's like, listen, yeah. you've already, and then we used to get that. I remember when we first started monetizing the business, you know, and we, we released the first program and people were like, I, you've already taught us how to program ourselves. I'm not even going to open it. I don't need to, but I want to support you. And so, so I think when yeah. you, when you, when you have that attitude of, of well, plus you're, you're, you're good luck trying to fight what's happening, what's going to happen anyway. Right. I mean, everything that can be free will be free anyway with the information it's all age. accessible so, now. Yeah. So in giving people more information, it's, it's more valuable than in the past. We thought we couldn't, we got to hide it. We got to keep it a secret. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Well, here's what's interesting is that, that I won't have a paywall to give information. I'll have a paywall to check in with me weekly to hold you accountable. Right. That's totally different. Well, that's, that's your time. I, that's your personal time. Yeah, it's personal time. And if they have a question or you know something like that, and or just for me to, to shake them up, the app is intended to have some artificial intelligence long, ongoing to where it can start to learn. Uh, you know, If somebody doesn't do their morning weigh-in or if they miss a 10-minute walk, it can at least give them a reminder, hey, you got to get on mm. that. And I haven't seen your body weight. You didn't check in with me. I need a photo. I only got two pictures of food mm-hmm. today. I need, you know, I need, so it just kind of reminds them to stay on track. When I uh, did my hip rehab, I went to Mark Philippi in there in Las Vegas. Now I know how to do plie squats, but the likelihood that I'm going to do those with a little kettlebell is pretty slim. <laughs> so I hired Mark, I paid him and I went down to his facility and I worked with him two hours a week, twice a week to rehab my hip for me. Uh, and I posted the entire video on YouTube of my exact rehab for my hip, which now I forward to people. People ask me questions. I always copy and paste articles or videos or something. I give them a little quick one sentence answer. And then I send him the information Maven. that I, you know, feel is like one of the better articles I read or videos that kind of supports what my contention is. Part of that is because I want them to have the information. Most of that is because if you think it works, it works. Most of that is because people get information from six different sources and they want to, you know, I want them to implement mine. So I need them to have the confidence that what I'm recommending is supported by, you know, someone reputable Mm -hmm. in the industry or some sort of, uh, you know, peer reviewed published research article. 
because a lot of the placebo effect can can take effect mm-hmm. uh, if I can just get them to buy into it and and do it consistently rather than having all these other influences telling oh that's not going to work and like, well yeah it is because Stan said so and here's the research in addition to that yeah. Mm. I love seeing your, your, again, it's refreshing because you're very honest, very open. You share everything and you understand the connection. You just mentioned the placebo effect. That's a, that's a very important aspect of improving your health or your fitness or whatever is understanding yeah. and believing in, in what you're doing. And a lot of people don't talk about that. So. No, and I'll send a questionnaire, a pretty lengthy questionnaire to a client. And when they give me the feedback, there's a lot of things in there. I'm like, oh, that's a waste of money. That's a waste of money. If it's not hurting them, and they believe it works, I'll leave that alone. I'll focus on the big rocks. Mm-hmm. And I, I won't, you know, kick them in the teeth about their BCAAs because it's probably not <laughs> causing them any problem. Any, right. you know, it's not hurting them. Unless it's a financial decision, I, you know, I can make those adjustments. And oftentimes- Well, I used, to, I used to say one of the things that were, because I competing, I was doing some supplements. And one of the things that I noticed about myself is that when I was consistently having to take something, it made me consistent about other shit, you know? And 100%. it's hundred percent. And it's I justified it as, well, fuck, it's a hundred something dollars I spend a month or whatever on this shit. But because I know that I'm having to time it, take it and everything like that, it's making everything else in my life more consistent. And, and I said that in my rant on the West Side Barbell people. I like, a plan is better than no plan. <laughs> and what I've found from a practical experience is that when I get a client who tells me that, oh, you know, most of this is good, most of this is good, and I just need a little help with this. So I send them the questionnaire and I have them answer everything. You know, I just need a little diet help. My training's fine. This is fine. Mm-hmm. And then I get that questionnaire back and it's a hot fucking mess. <laughs> I've, I'm like, dude, you're, you're not doing anything, you know? <laughs> and generally what you find is they don't have a plan. Yeah. And so when you implement that plan and oftentimes, you know, I get to work with somebody like, you know, they'll ask me like, how do you help a Brian Shaw? He's four time world's strongest man. And I wonder myself sometimes and I get in there and I'm like, God, I'm, what can I do for this guy? Mm. When he reached out to me, I'm like, I can't help Brian Shaw. He's four time world's strongest man. He knows more than I do. Mm. And then you get in, you dig around behind the scenes and I talk to his wife and I get a blood test and I get a questionnaire and I'm like, dude, this is, you don't have a CPAP. Your vitamin D is at 25. You know, you're, you got diarrhea every day. And he's the first to acknowledge, and we talked about it on his, his mm-hmm. podcast, that mm-hmm. regularity is something that you just, you know, you don't consider to be all that important. It's crazy, you... actually, how many people don't even think about their shits. No. Yeah. That it's, just, yeah. No. That it's like, normal to happened. shit yourself. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, people just let that. That's like a sign. Like and, that's uh, Your body trying to tell you something. You can't map it back to a source. Right. Yeah. You know, and so that's why, again, why I'm so, quote unquote, restrictive, specific about the foods that I select initially. And then I, I, I asked them, you know, how do you feel? How's your strength? How's your energy? How are your shits? Because I want to know if these foods are the right foods for them. And I have to make minor adjustments for different people. Some people can't handle oranges, the acidity in their stomach doesn't agree with them. You know, some people can't do any dairy at all. And I got to get their calcium from a, you know, a powdered eggshell or something. Right. So I, there, there are adjustments that, that can and will be made, but uh, it's just always interesting, like you said, most people don't have a plan. Right. Mm-hmm. And when they have a plan, all of a sudden, everything comes together. And like, oh my God, this diet's amazing. I'm like, no, dude, what you were doing was horrible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Any diet would have worked for you because uh, you were a hot mess. Uh, that's such a great point. We talk about this oh, even man. with like, uh, I used to get clients who would switch over to vegan out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they'd be like, oh my God, it's everything. It's yeah. a diet. I'm like, well, maybe it's because you weren't eating any fucking vegetables, vegetables <laughs> yeah, before. Right. And you finally gave your body some of these things nah, that it needed. I said that in my, my obesity rant. I said that uh, all diets work when they're strictly adhered to. 
the problem is, is that people generally fall off. And that's when you start nitpicking about micronutrient density, gut health, immune mm-hmm. system, and sustainability. Those, those are the things that start to come into effect. How do I keep people on this long term? And the same with the exercise program. Three 10-minute walks is sustainable. Getting to the gym and doing 40 minutes on a treadmill is monotonous. And I mean, that's Nobody not, likes that. Nobody's going to do that consistently. This they is why kids could... and work and all that other stuff. That's a time so suck. The 10-minute walks were, I mean, they're just life-changing. This is why I coach the step. I use steps as my, I yeah. get my clients to track where they're at stepwise and then I incrementally increase it because when you take someone who on average takes four to 6,000 steps and you take them to 7,000 steps, it's no big deal. Yeah, It's so easy, especially when they can break it up in short 10 minute little walks yep. versus having to drive to the gym and get on a Stairmaster for an hour Doesn't or whatever. Doesn't make any sense. So no. Stan, what, when you're not eating pounds of meat, carrying coolers around, uh, running businesses, coaching, what are you doing? What's, what do you, what, what, uh, my kids, what tickles your tummy? 24 seven. Oh, okay. I got a six year old and a four year old. Oh, uh, yeah. I talk about it on all the podcasts. So I slobber about your kids, but yeah. I started late in life with kids. I'm 50 now. I got a four year old and a six year old. Oh. So, uh, and fortunately I was retired from bodybuilding and powerlifting and I, I'm in a good position, uh, you know, with business. So, I, I talk a lot about of patience. Talk, talk about the decision to do. Okay, I'm 37. I don't have kids. Yeah, and I've been with the same woman for eight years. We're not. We're yeah. not even married yet, but we've been together for eight years, and I haven't had kids. Everyone gives me shit all the time. Talk about uh, why you waited and some of the things that uh, you're maybe happy about, or maybe is there any regrets of not having them earlier? Uh, you know, I don't know that I have any regrets. Certainly, I, I would have. It would have been great to have them earlier, but uh, I mean, they're fantastic. I guess the big thing for me is is that that. Uh, I was so selfish all those years, so focused in the bodybuilding and powerlifting and work. You know, I was running my businesses and I didn't have time for anything else. And I was just so directly focused on that. Plus uh, the risk tolerance. Uh, if I had had my kids 10 years ago, there's probably a lot of things I wouldn't have tried mm. uh, mm-hmm. because I'm, I, I'm a lot more risk averse now. I won't, I won't double down on things. I won't mortgage <laughs> my home, uh, which I've done in the past against, uh, you know, investments and stuff. So uh, I'm a lot more cautious now, but I'm also a lot more patient now. My kids will do things that, that would probably freak most people out. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. But it, probably everybody feels about their kids. But You start uh, to view like adults, like you can kind of see the kid uh, in adults. Now, I, I noticed that as I had kids, I could just see like the, the same sort of behaviors and things. In the oh, yeah. And, my son's a pain in the ass. <laughs> He's just like me when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, I just I just shake my head. I'm like, man. if Because uh, my dad just, if, if I would act like my kid, he would wallop me. I let him get away with a lot, though. That's for sure. How, mu- how much of that has provided personal growth for yourself of seeing seeing yourself in them? Oh, a lot of it. You know, it just, and again, makes me really, really patient. Cured me of my OCD. All those years I talked about those repetitive behaviors and the OCD and the, the T-shirts lined up by color uh, and all that stuff. Then you get kids and they're drawn on your furniture. You have the, to get over that oh, wow. real quick. Yeah. yeah, and your your inside of your car is just a one spill after another of, yep. of you know food and and it's just torn apart. Every time you turn around, there's something ruined in your house or your car. Or, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what it is. You nothing in the house is uh, the, ever just, the same. Yeah, yeah. Now, now being a guy that was uh, you know for sure in love with his work and bodybuilding and powerlifting, were you kind of an asshole to date and be with back then? I don't think so. I, you know, I've always you said been, selfish. I've so you, always been, yeah, focused on my goals, but real generous. I've always been very helpful, uh, and I am now as a coach, uh, and always have been as a, a boyfriend and husband. That uh, you know, 
what my wife's goals become my goals too. I want to help her achieve things. Mm. And uh, so I'm, I'm really, really helpful that way. People, I think when they meet me are kind of surprised that I don't, I don't have this air of arrogance about me and I don't think anything's beneath me. And, uh, you know, I'm still the fuller brush salesman that I started out, uh, <laughs> you know, and I took the cooler and I went to the Olympia and I didn't have a booth and I walked from booth to booth to booth talking to the people at Allmex and Allmax and Animal and uh, Muscle Farm. And I just walked up and said, who's in charge? And I, I pitched him the cooler. You know, just some, the power of broke, as Damon John uh, calls it. <laughs> Did you have an example of this growing up or that, that made you be this guy who I would just always work? I said, you know, I started at 7-Eleven when I was 12 years old and I was mm. slinging pizzas when I was 14 and I was working construction through college and I was a maintenance man after I graduated, uh, worked my way up to management and eventually started my own companies. But uh, I've always just grinded. I'm a blue collar guy at heart and uh, I'm the same way you know, with bodybuilding, powerlifting as in business. And even now with all the success I've realized, you know, and having uh, lived the life I've lived and uh, done the things I've done, uh, I'm still out beating the streets and hustling, you know, and it, it uh, and trying to provide a good product and service for people. Uh, it, there, there's no advantage in taking advantage of anyone. And so I'm trying to give more than I get, even with my new program, uh, putting people in for commissions with the meals or uh, as part of my coaching staff, uh, now with the vertical diet, um, I gave them up a, a 75-25 split and 75's in their pocket, 25's in mine. Uh, I just believe in the power of, of um, you know, getting 1% of 100 men's labor instead of 1% of one man's, 100% of one man's labor. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, in, in order to do that, I need to have people that, that believe in me, uh, lead by example. Uh, and, and that's kind of what I'm developing now. I think people, anybody who's worked with me over the years knows that I, I give a lot in terms of information, like you said, and, uh, and I care about the outcome, about their results. Uh, that's what people say about you. Yeah. That's 100% what people, if I bring up your name to people who know you, that's what they say about you. So I think you're doing a good job. Thank you. Mm -hmm. What do you think, the, what are some of the things that you have got from being a blue collar worker and growing up that way that have now attributed to your success and having multi-million dollar businesses now? Like, I just realize it's still work at the end of the day. You know, every day I wake up, I got my checklist, just like I, I got a checklist. And I, I just did a seminar two days ago in, uh, in Vegas at the Olympia for the coaches. And I created checklists for them. You're going to have to hand out 10 business cards a day. You're going to have to do one free seminar a week, uh, just soliciting people to come and learn about nutrition and change their life. And during which you're going to uh, ask for the sale and it's going to be a win-win. You're going to give them something that they need that will help them and they're going to pay for it. Because anything you give for free has no perceived value. Uh, and they're not going to think it, it's worth anything. And they're not going to have any skin in the game. Uh, and they won't commit to it. And so, uh, you know, these are the same messages that, that you know, that I teach my coaches that I, I keep every single day trying to employ for myself is these little checklists. I if, if you ask me to do something for you and I don't pull out my phone and put it in my daily reminder calendar, it will never happen. Hmm. So I live off of uh, lists, and of course I've got action items, and I prioritize things. And uh, but that's huge for me—the list, the action items, the daily checklist. That's in my app for my clients and my coaches is a daily checklist of the things that I want them to do every day: the ten-minute walks, what time they get to bed, what time they wake up, the meals that they eat, whether they take vitamin D three. All those things are in the daily checklist. If you do these things every day, you know the dingers, the singles, then. Uh, focusing on the goal will never be a long-term success strategy. Focusing on uh, the, the process of getting there, the habits, the lifestyle, 
uh, and starting to engage and enjoy those things. I enjoy my 10 minute walks. I put my daughter's breakfast on the table. I take a 10 minute walk and come back. I take her to school at night before bed. I, I enjoy that 10 minute walk, how it clears my mind, how it helps me sleep uh, when I get home. Just, it doesn't matter what the circumstance is. I, uh, I do those things every single day. Are there things that you do as far as getting away and disconnecting and maybe breaking the checklist cycle? And I always say on the show, I say that your greatest strength is normally your greatest weakness also. And so if being organized and checklist guy is your strength, I would also think that it may be your Achilles heel that you have a hard time maybe breaking away from that. Is that true? Or yeah, you know, one of the videos I did was called stress for success, where I talked about how I didn't break away and I was overly invested into one outcome and I was sacrificing sleep and I was sacrificing nutrition. I was sacrificing exercise and how that affected me and how I experienced anxiety and stress and mm. uh, some mild depression as a result during those times and how my performance started uh, to decline uh, at work. My business was, was suffering as well. And when I reincorporated uh, just those fundamental principles of getting better sleep, paying myself first, I called it, getting better sleep, exercising regularly, going back to the gym, stop eating at McDonald's. And I was actually starting to eat healthier food again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was eating dollar meals at McDonald's for damn near a year when I was running my business, working, you know, 18 plus hours. How old are you right here when you're talking about this? Oh, 35, 36, okay. 37, mm-hmm. right in there. And I did it previously, five years previous for someone else. When I was vice president of a telecommunications company, I was getting four hours of sleep a night and pouring, you know, tons and tons of hours into work to try and help build their business. So I learned my lessons by, by repeating the same mistakes. It takes me a while. I'm a slow learner. But uh, now I know, and um, it's in the training as well, uh, like with Eddie Cohn's program, he always deloads about every three or four weeks. Uh, you know, he deloads so you don't overstress your body and build up too much fatigue and that helps you long-term. And so I implement that into uh, my daily life too with the deloads. And like you say, sometimes you have to disconnect. You have to turn the phone off. And it's easy for me at any given moment, all the way over here on the plane, um, whenever my kids are playing at the park or whatever, uh, or at gymnastics, I'm on the phone answering DMs, you know, responding to clients and customers and uh, emails, et cetera, all day long, looking at people's blood work and, uh, you know, sending them articles, you name it, answering questions. Uh, and after a while, you realize, oh, man, I haven't come up to, to take a breath of air in a while. I've been glued to this thing. And so I do. I do uh, have to shut the phone off. One of the big things I did, and I talked about it, in, I, I think, in the Stress for Success uh, video, is that um, I have to turn off the news. Mm. One of the most depressing things is watching Fox News and uh, MSNBC and all oh, those guys course, just lobbing bombs at each other. And, and you hate not being informed, but you also hate being misinformed at the same time. And, uh, you know, it's the same reason I don't watch Basketball Wives, but I don't watch the news <laughs> because it's the same, same stuff. Same drama. It's just, added, it's yeah. just drama. Nonsense. Yeah. So because I always feel really shitty afterwards. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, everything sucks and the world sucks. And, mm-hmm. you know, but then when you look around and you start talking to people, you realize, hey, these people are doing pretty good. There's a great website for that mm-hmm. called uh, humanprogress.org. And yeah. it talks about all the advancements we've made in the last, like, 20 or 30 years. Like, a lot of people don't know, like, in the last 30 years, we've reduced worldwide poverty, like, tremendously in the yeah. world. You know, there's stuff like that. And it's it's good to go on there every once in a while to remind yeah. yourself like, okay, the world's not ending. There's good things happening. Positivity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You got to share with me a, a story about a success that you've had in one of your businesses that you're most proud of. And I don't want some bullshit like because you saved someone's life or helped somebody. Like I want a, I want a selfish one. I want something that made you feel really proud because someone who's put as much work consistency as you have into everything that you've done, I know there's had to been moments of, fuck yes, I put the hard work in. 
You know, at one point when I started my telephone company, I had sold my home. I think I had maybe 40 grand from selling my house. Uh, I racked up about, I cashed out my 401k, which is probably only like five or six grand. I racked up $125,000 worth of credit cards. I had about 10 or 12 credit cards. And Holy I was cow. Using them to start my business. And how old are you? Uh, 35, right? Okay. This time, 34, 35. And uh, I was buying telephone service from um, Quest at the time, Quest Communications, and reselling it to uh, end users. So I was a, a telecommunications reseller. They call an, uh, a CLEC, Competitive Local Exchange Carrier. And I owed them about a quarter million dollars. And they used to call me, you know, about every other day asking me for payments. And I'd tell them I'd, I'd just put it in the mail. <laughs> 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 Lying through my teeth because I didn't have any money. And the credit card companies were calling me. And uh, I borrowed money from my dad. And my dad was a government worker. Didn't have a lot of money. When his pops passed away, he got $100,000 from his dad. Uh, and uh, he bought a home in Florida. A real modest place. It was probably 110000 bucks. My dad had no money when he retired. None. My mom had spent it all. Uh, and so that's all they had was that house in Florida. It was about 110, 120 grand. And he was able to mortgage it for about 75%, something like 60 or $70,000. God, the burden that must have felt like to carry that. Hello. Yeah. That was overwhelming. That was the time at which I was really specifically talking about in my Stress for Success. I could give a shit about the credit card companies. I talked about this on Dave Palumbo's uh, uh, podcast recently that those guys are investors. They get a, a profit from you know, lending me money and they get a, a, an interest and right. uh, that they're investors. So that's at risk capital. Right. And if I can't pay it back, then hey, you know, we're all in business. Right. Uh, so I didn't really worry about that. A lot of people stress about credit cards and I'm like, why? Right. I even had people ask me for my help to pay off their credit cards. And I'm like, because the credit card company is more important to you than me. <laughs> I thought we were friends. <laughs> Great point. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just, I can't understand the mentality. I know it's stressful. Sure. But why, you know, when you, anyhow, uh, so he sent me that money and I used it to pay down, you know, to, to maintain some of the monthly payments on the credit cards and to give Quest enough so they wouldn't shut my lines off uh, because we were anticipating that we would uh, start generating enough revenue to be able to pay our bills. Uh, me and a business partner and the phone company, I started out of a, one out of an apartment uh, and I had, uh, I had no furniture in the apartment. I had a couple of fold out tables and we had uh, some staff come over and answer phones during the day and we couldn't afford headsets and stuff. So they were just picking up those little $9 phones and holding them to their ear like this all day long. We were knocking on doors and uh, with letters of authorization, trying to sign people up for phone service. That's wow. the fuller brush sales reference I made earlier, just knocking on doors the same way I knocked on doors at the Olympia last week. It hasn't changed. Um, and so I was hugely in debt and my father loaned me that money, 75% of his home is everything he had. Uh, he's on a modest pension with the government. It's like $4,000 a month just to give you a feeling that he's, he's not a wealthy guy. never was. Um, and uh, the, the anxiety and the stress, I, I, I missed more sleep. I never knew what anxiety was. My mother, mother suffered with it all her life. She's, she's been uh, in and out of mental institutions and on medication and was a chronic alcoholic when I was growing up and always suffering from these manic depressive disorders and anxiety attacks and, and what have you. And I never understood it. I always thought, you know, this is crazy. What, what's going on? Then I experienced it one time. And I'm a, a whole different person as a result. When mm -hmm. somebody tells me they have anxiety, I'm not like, oh, you know, get over it. A lot I'm more like, empathy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you feel that, the, just the way that lights up your whole body, and that was because of the monies that I owed my dad. And I didn't think I was going to be able to pay back. We thought we were going to go out of business. 
I don't know what this has to do with your original question, but it was going to get there. <laughs> with the proudest moment. Right. Uh, and that was the proudest moment is when uh, we were able to turn the corner. I was able to start to pay some of those bills and I was able to give my father uh, back the monies that, uh, that, were, that he uh, gave me. And then I was able to pay off his home. And uh, then I That's was able cool. to buy him a brand new car. He'd never his whole life bought a brand new car. We had a used Pinto, we had a used station wagon, you know, uh, and I bought him a brand new car and he wanted, uh, you know, he didn't need the sunroof or the, uh, the, uh, he, all the different bells and whistles. But of course I got him the top of the line. I had him, uh, see, that just gave me goosebumps. You know, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. That's that it. was the proudest moment. Right. Right. And I've, you know, I've made a lot of money, spent a lot of money, done a lot of things, but that, that's the one that sticks out in my mind is, is, uh, and he lives with me today. He's 89 years old. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. He's mostly blind, but is still in good health is on no medication. Uh, the doctors had him on a few different meds, statins, and a couple of others uh, five years ago. But since he's been living with me, I've changed his diet, and he does his 10-minute walks, and uh, he's on no meds. That's great. That's excellent. How, how's, uh, how's your relationship with your mom? Uh, that's still tough. I, I bought them a home and moved them out here, and so she's a few miles from me. And uh, she's some very severe uh, mental challenges uh, in and out of mental institutions, uh, and so it's really, really difficult. She's, she's not all there. Um, it's challenging. There's no question. How did that affect you? Um, I, had a, I had a very dysfunctional childhood growing up, and you know, it's taken me years and years to work through and unpack a lot of the stuff and how it's formed and shaped my personality. Um, what are some of the things that you notice in yourself as a grown man now that maybe your relationship with her when you were younger has affected you? Yeah, you know, she was what we call a functional addict. And so my relationship with her growing up was, was extraordinary. It was excellent. She was the den leader. She was the house mom. Everybody wanted to come to our place and hang out. She was the Cub Scout leader. Uh, when I got a job, she got a job there. When I was working at 7-Eleven, she applied for a job there. We worked mm. there together. Oh, wow. uh, she became manager and I would do the books at night for her. And, uh, you know, she's always helped me. When I got a job managing an apartment community, I brought her in to help leasing for me. And uh, so we worked together through most of those years, but as her conditions, and she was still an addict throughout those years, uh, alcohol was, was the major one. But then when she came on to, um, uh, psych psychiatric meds, uh, those became progressively worse. Uh, some of which I think have caused a lot of the, uh, the degenerative issues that, that give her the delusional behaviors and, uh, and those. So there's some of those, and I've, I've gone to counseling with, um, psychologists over the years with her uh, to try and talk it through and, and to see how we can, you know, manage the situation. But it's really difficult. It's not the same person. They're so influenced uh, by those medications and addicted to them, pain pills, she'll mm -hmm. doctor shop and uh, she just uh, always seems to be compromised. When did you become aware of that? If she was a functioning addict back then, it sounds like she was. I a always knew because she would go through these depressive. Uh, she, I have that same kind of mentality. She would overwork herself uh, when she was managing at a bakery. She would. I talked to him in a video one time about how that um, they couldn't afford to. Uh, uh, they couldn't afford the baker anymore, so she would come in and bake at night, and then she would deliver things at four o'clock in the morning. And she would sleep on the bench for a couple of hours, and then open the store. And uh, she she just uh, overly commits herself at the at the complete sacrifice of her health to the point where she she just. Uh, dies out after a while she just goes completely blank and then she's at home in bed for three months and can't open the door 
And if somebody opens the door, then she gets anxiety, that kind of situation, the front door, you've heard mm-hmm. of people having those, mm-hmm. those, they get scared, they can't leave the house. And she would stay in her bed all day long and only come out at night to eat. Uh, and this would go on for months at a time. And then she would emerge uh, and then she would invest herself into another project. And sure enough, within another, depending on, you know, how long it was within their couple, three years, we'd have a recurrence of the same kind of behavior. So it's, it's been a lifelong thing, but I got a lot of her work ethic is part of the problem. Mm. Uh, and a lot of those obsessive behaviors. Uh, and I mentioned in my stress for success rant that I've become, I, uh, I was, um, I experienced a lot of negative effects from, uh, investing myself too much into my work and had to continue to manage. I had a friend recently asked me, how do you manage your stress? Uh, and I said, you know, with, with proper nutrition, proper sleep and proper exercise, that's the only way to do it. If, if you can bench 200 pounds and somebody puts 300 on the bar, that's stressful. But if you can bench 400 pounds and somebody puts 300 on the bar, it's not stressful. It's the same 300 pounds, but it's two different individuals. One's prepared for the task. One isn't, you cannot get through life and be successful without in, uh, uh, in, you know, engaging stress. It's, it's going to happen in any business. If you want to be successful, you need to actually be able to handle more stress. You have to chase that, that those stressful situations. Uh, and, but how prepared are you? That's the big thing. And my preparation, uh, some people may throw in yoga and, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, meditation and stuff like that. I've really just, my meditation is, is just going to the gym and blasting out workouts. I think Joe Rogan said on his site, he doesn't know anybody who trains hard that has, uh, that's depressed or has those issues. And I've found over the years that people that, that I, uh, who have had suffer from depression, who have poured themselves into, uh, intense physical activity have been able to emerge from that, uh, with good nutrition and sleep. Right. Yeah. They've done studies that compared, uh, exercise to, um, SSRI drugs for mild to moderate depression and find that they, it performs as well in the short term and better in the long term. hundred percent. So are you a only child? You have siblings? I have a brother and sister. Yeah. Oh, okay. What, what's the age difference? Sister's a year older, brother's two years older. Okay. Oh, the baby. Yeah. And then what's your relationship like with them? Good. Uh, they, my brother lives in Iowa. My sister's uh, in near Chicago now. Boy, terrible. I don't even know where she lives. <laughs> <laughs> they bounced around a little bit from New York. They were in upstate New York and then uh, they've, uh, they've since moved. But uh, uh, it was always excellent. They, they, they understand the challenges as well. And, uh, but I'm, I'm right here trying to do the best I can. to. It manage. sounds like you're carrying a lot of the load here. If you've got you know, both parents are nearby you, you've kind of supported them. Like, Yeah, it doesn't feel heavy to me, uh, to be honest with you. Well, that's because you lift fucking 900-pound squats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just spent almost, the almost anything feels light compared to that. Yeah, <laughs> I just spent the last 10 minutes talking about this, uh, you know, this horrible situation with my mom, but it, it doesn't, for some reason, doesn't feel heavy for me i just i look at it you know who was it wayne dyer was the the motivational speaker that said once when you change the way you look at things the things you look at change Mm. and i i you know it is what it is and i i guess when when you set expectations that can't be met then you're disappointed you know undersell over provide kind of of Mm. thing i don't have the expectation that that i'm going to be able to fix my mom my expectation is is that i can manage this uh and i've you know, provided her a home, pay her bills, uh, send people over to clean the house. No, I get that sense when you talk about it. Yeah, I just, I, I look at more as a, this is what I'm able to do. I've, I've talked about, I think in Iran, I talked about the fact that at some point you just, even when I'm writing things down that uh, for my to-do list, I write things down that are stressing me out. 
and just recognizing what it is and whether or not I can do anything about it. Because sometimes I worry about shit I'm not in control of. And I just have to look at it and be like, I'm not in control of that. That's not on me. And I just cross it off my list. I might write it down again in a couple of days because I realize it's in my head and it's stressing me out. I offload that shit at night before bed. I have a, a notepad and pen next to my bed or I'm on my phone just dropping in things that I know I have to get done that I wouldn't be able to sleep thinking I would forget and I'd wake up in the morning and I, I have to respond to so-and-so and respond, you know, I have to type that down and I can set it down and then it's offloaded. My brain's clear. Uh, and a lot of the stuff I offload isn't anything I can do anything about. Mm. It, a lot of times it's stuff that I just realize that, that I'm stressed about and I don't have any control over it. So I have to define it as such. Excellent. Do you have a, a spiritual practice or uh, faith practice or anything like that? I don't. be honest with you, I don't. Mm. Mm, good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, man. Great, great time talking with you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're, you Thank seem like you a very purpose driven yeah, person. And, in a, and yeah, very, obviously very successful, but talking to you, I know why. Yep. I know why you're very successful. So thank you for the opportunity. I know I blather on. I, I've probably never done a short interview, but that's neither. <laughs> we, we, we don't. Yeah, we don't either. We do. It's yeah. all good. We normally go for hours, man. Yeah. We have we have that. You know what though? It's just it's. I love to get into this different parts. I mean, it was good to listen to you talk about bodybuilding and diet and stuff. But these are all things I've heard you talk about a million times. Yeah. I really like to know the things that make the man behind that tick and and what's turned you into. And I could tell just by. I mean, you even got a little emotional talking about your dad. I can tell that there's definitely something there for sure that uh, has, has probably driven and motivated you for a very long time. I go into his room and he'll show me some Dr. Oz episode about something and, and, uh, uh, or he'll turn on Jeopardy and he still answers the questions. I got to get up and leave. I feel bad about myself. I can't answer any of those questions. <laughs> My pops is in there, 89 years old. He's like, boom. Boom, boom, that's one right. after the other, answering wow. questions. Yeah. That's cool. So I talk till I'm hungry, and then I reach down in my bag, and I have three thermos in there to get me through the rest of the day. So <laughs> we'll man. leave somebody, we'll, we'll leave, we'll close off with the tip of the day. My, uh, I'll do it. And the tip of the day is the thermos. I'm so proud of this thermos that uh, I heat my meals up before I left the house this morning. I heated up four really hot Monster Mash, uh, and I put them in these thermos, and they'll stay hot for 10, 12 hours. And so now every three hours all day long is whether I'm coming here or I go to Canada. When I went to the UK, I took six meals. It was a 16 hour day and I had meals every three hours the whole way there. And so I have all my athletes now uh, to prepare for their day or an event. Uh, when Brian Shaw came to the Olympia, we sent him a big bucket of meals and he stayed at a place with a kitchen and uh, he filled up his thermos every day full of hot meals. So when he was at the expo during the day, every three hours he could eat. He never wanted for food. And that's one of the hugest things in terms, like I said, meal prepping, meal planning. Uh, the, the number one predictor of success is right. your ability to control your nutrition. And not just in terms of calories, but now I also know that my stomach's going to feel good because I'm not at Smashburger at the airport. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. a ABC, Stan. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, brother. Oh, Thank yeah. you very much, yeah. man. Pleasure, man. Thanks, All right. guys. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. 
The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.